0: MotoGP returned for round two in Argentina. And for those that missed it, here's a quick refresher. At Tomas Rio Hondo, we got rain, rain and more rain. Championship leader in Q1. Q2 comes around and a ballsy Aussie gambles on slicks. His reward, pole position. Race day comes around and a delayed start. Virtually everyone wants to start from pit lane. This annoys the pole man who ends up starting with a 30-yard head start. Before the delayed start even starts, the world champion has to restart his Honda. He achieved this by going backwards down the home straight, as you do. He'd soon be back in the pit lane again. When the race finally did happen, Joanne hit Danny and broke his wrist. Danilo hit Aleish, who took out his frustrations on Xavier. At least he might get a new chief mechanic out of it all. We had career best results for Taka, for Hafish, for Alex, who got his first podium. And Cal won it all, meaning a Briton leased the championship for the first time in 39 years. And as for Mark and Valentino, don't even ask. Now that we're up to speed, welcome to episode 54 of Bike Life. Let's go! It was a crazy old weekend, folks. Welcome to episode 54 of Bike Life here on Motorsport 101. And I don't think we've looked forward to an episode of this podcast more than we've looked forward to this one. So welcome to all of you to this show as we look back on the second round of what is already an incredible MotoGP season at Termas de Rio Hondo in Argentina where everything, quite literally everything happened in one of the most chaotic MotoGP races we have ever seen. We will try our level best to break it all down over the course of the next couple of hours or however long it bleeding takes. Um, As we try and cover everything that happened including Jack Miller's brilliant tire gamble before the absolute robbery that he encountered the next day the mayhem that followed including Mark Marquez, which started with himself going backwards down the home straight and ended with a barreling collision with Juan Valentino Rossi. Not that you've heard much about it since. Uh, Twitter feuds have followed including Alecia Spargrove, Danilo Petrucci and Xavier Simeon. A uh, Briton won the Grand Prix as you heard in the intro, Cal Crutchlow leads the World Championship and so much more happened. We haven't even covered what happened in Moto2 and 3. Uh, where Matteo Passini won an absolute thriller renewed to idiot class, and we got a brand new winner in Marco Bozecchi in Moto3. What a weekend it was. We'll also preview Aragon World Superbikes, which comes up this very weekend, and Brands Indy BSB. But I need to take a deep breath and welcome Andre Harrison. Welcome, Dre.
1: Please take a breather like while I take over in the next minute or so. Um, we've done what? About 150 of these Together by now? All yeah. in? Something like that? Yeah. Since one? I think that was since the, what, second half of 2013 was the first episode? Yeah, we were doing
0: 14,
1: this for four, four years now. Yeah, nearly four years we've been doing this. And I don't think to this day we've covered a race that was so unbelievable. A weekend, you could argue, that was so unbelievably chaotic as this one. I'm trying to think back in my mind. surprising so, 2015 wasn't as crazy as this. No, that well, that was all- one
0: massive incident.
1: That was one transcendent incident. You could argue this weekend had two or three. Um, And (laughs) I don't even know where to start on this one. It is like I've had this one circled on the calendar for a good few days now. Um, I said on Twitter that this is the main event of the week. And this is despite the fact that we had a very, very good um, Formula One weekend in Bahrain by all accounts. Um, So...
0: Yeah, um, best of luck everybody, yeah. um, strap yourselves in, this, 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 this is going to take a while. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we hope we hope you enjoy it though, we, we, I think we're certainly going to have a lot of fun at uh, breaking all oh, this yeah. one down, uh, before on. we get on to it then, uh, let's first of all let you know the places you can find us if you didn't know already, um, these social media channels might well be bombarded with abuse uh, based on what we say over the next two hours, but hey ho, here goes, facebook.com <laughs> forward slash motorsport101, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, um, if you uh, want to follow us on Twitter, it's at motorsport underscore one oh one. Our personal handles at LewisSudaby twenty three and at Harrison101HD. Um, our website is motorsport101.net where you can find written content from Andre Harrison on the very subject that we'll debate we'll debate on this show Hi. involving Mark Marquez. <laughs> Um, A lot on that to come. Um, And if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access um, to each of our weekly shows, if you've done that at the $1 level, by the way, you'll have had this show early. So, well done to you. Yes. And thanks for backing us. Patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, where we have to send out a big thank you initially uh, to Henry Chapman, who has backed us at the $10 level and is now a part of our Discord server. So, uh, a huge thank you to you uh, for your continued support (laughs) right then. Deep breaths, everyone. Here goes. The MotoGP Argentine Grand Prix took place in the uh, in the the second where Just stuff seems to happen these days. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in Hondo yeah, in front of a live studio audience. Live studio audience. Yeah, there'll be people chatting. Jerry in the background in a moment. But no, it's it's, <laughs> it's funny how stuff just seems to happen there. Um, from Rossi and Marquez in 2015 to Unani and Dovi the year after. Um, Dovi was taken out again last year. Just incidents seem to follow um, mm. the Argentine Grand Prix at de Rio Hondo. Um, this weekend, we got a few of them in one go. And we'll start this weekend, or our review of the weekend, chronologically. I think it's the best way for us to ensure we cover everything. And starting on Saturday with Jack Miller, who took a brilliant pole position. Uh, and Dre de yoso as you heard in the intro, had to go through Q1. He <laughs> safely negotiated his way through Q1. Um, and ended up qualifying um, on the third row of the grid. Um, but as far as Jack Miller's concerned, Dre, just reward for a brilliant... well. A brilliant and brave tyre gamble. Some people feel it's a little unkind to call it brave. Some people think it was very well calculated um, from Jack Miller. And I could understand what they're saying. But when you're taking a decision on tyres that even Mar- Marquez bailed on because he thought it was too dicey, mm-hmm. Jack Miller deserves an awful lot of credit for it.
1: Oh, listen, I, I I don't mind the smartness of this at all because people just want to sound clever. That Like, I saw a screenshot of that bike basically sideways in sector three mm-hmm. of that lap. Please tell me about how smart that was at that point in time.
0: Um, not buying it. Um yeah, that was Even Mark Marquez put slicks on and thought, I don't fancy this.
1: Yeah, like half like a good three or four dudes came out there in slick ties of about seven, eight minutes to go, um, if I remember correctly, and they all parked it and went back on the wet bike saying, You know what, it's too it's too precarious. Jack Miller to be fair, Miller did calculate it. He went into the pits and he said, Okay, we're going on slicks but send me out now. I need more time because he he reckoned it would get better as as, as this stint would go on, and he was right. Um, he was faster and faster as the week went on. It was a little bit awkward to watch because the timing screens had broken. Jerry yeah. Miller's final lap so it was only when they, they changed it at the last second that people realized oh wait let's put it on pole how convenient um but um, yeah you, you could see he was losing bucket loads of time in sectors three and four where it was wet but the first half of the lap was bone dry so yeah miller it was a calculated gamble but still an incredible amount of rider skill required um especially uh, on on, on as, as the laps would go on i mean like, I think they said on telemetry at one point it was only at eight percent throttle. That's how much he was ever in this thing to get around the, to get around the lap on certain at certain areas. But uh, I don't care what anyone says to me. Um, big balls to say the least for Jack Miller to to guide that thing around in precariously slippery conditions to be able to pull that one off. Um, astonishing bravery from, from from Miller and a well-deserved his first career top flight pole position and well earned. It was um an incredible bit of skill from Jack to pull that off.
0: Yeah it was a brave strategy, a bold strategy, but as with any strategy, if it's going to be successful, you have to fully commit to it. Um, and and the likes of Mark Marquez decided it wasn't ready, the track wasn't ready, and they went back to wets. But credit to Jack Miller. He committed to it. He said, no, I'm all in for this. If I'm going for slicks, I'm going to stay with it and let the track come to me. And it came to him on the very last lap of the session, enabling him to snatch pole position from Danny Pedroza, um, who ended up qualifying second on the grid, and ja- Joan Zarco third. Now this is where it gets slightly confusing. Um, because race day arrives and the Moto2 and Moto3 races are taking place on a predominantly wet track, um, with a dry line emerging. Uh, rain was still in the air leading up to the Grand Prix itself. But it was still a little bit dicey in terms of what tires you'd start the race on. Of course, MotoGP does have flag-to-flag rules. You can change bikes mm-hmm. if you want to. You didn't. You don't have the scenario that we got in Moto3, which we'll cover later on, where riders had to come in at the end of the formation lap and wait while their tires were changed. Um, in MotoGP, you can just change bikes. Um, now, with around about seven or eight minutes to go till the start of the race... Uh, We saw the rather bizarre scenario of rider after rider having their motorcycles pushed off the grid and into the pit lane. um, Because they clearly felt that their bike with correctly fitted tyres was not on the grid. A lot of riders, in fact, every rider with the the exception of the pole man, Jack Miller, uh, had decided to start on wet tyres. Whereas Jack Miller had gambled, if you want to call it again, if you want to call it a gamble, he'd chosen correctly that the track was ready for slicks. So what we got was one rider on the grid and 23 in the pit lane, um, which which left race direction with only one decision, and that was to abort the start. Now, before we talk about the decision that they made and how the race started, Dre, Mm. um, a lot of people were up in arms about this, saying Jack Miller's been robbed, and he was robbed, but from a safety point of view, people were saying, well, where's the safety issue? If twenty-three riders all trying to make a full-speed race start out of a crowded pit lane isn't a safety issue, I don't know what is. They had to abort it.
1: Yeah, they like uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Jack Miller, in a sense, was robbed because he. I mean, his his correct decision was ruined, but what was basically a fifty-yard head start, um, which was worth probably about a second in real-world running. Um, probably not even that, to be honest, because they caught him up very quickly once the race started. Um, but. <sighs> Uh, we, we've seen this before. They, they were, they were, we were going to have something very similar, I think, at Silverstone the year before, mm. where everybody was in the pits because there was a sudden downpour of about five minutes before the race started. Um, so, yeah, Dorna was left with no choice. They had to delay the start. The race direction had to do it. It was like you cannot have 23 bikes coming out of a narrow pit lane side by side at full racing speed trying to, trying to get position on a slippery track still you can't do it it was an that would have been an absolute disaster um especially proven later incidents in the race would have proven the track was still very wet in certain areas um so yeah like like the riders kind of took matters into their own hands really um which i'm not a big fan of unfortunately i think they could have done it a little bit better but, I mean, I think the teams just took matters into their own hands, and that's not ideal either by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, David but,
0: David Emmett used a very good term where he said it was essentially mob rule um, yeah. on, on, the pit, on, on, the, on the grid there. And we saw the remarkable scenes of all of the team bosses stood in a circle on the main straight where the medical <laughs> car was placed, trying to yep. trash out a compromise because Jack Miller was sat there on the grid, all alone, go. all alone, ready to go. With all of the all of the fans on the uh, on the main street cheering his name, he's trying to whip them up into a frenzy because they all know what we all knew—that he was going to get shafted out of this. Because yeah, had that I'm... race had that race purely just gone ahead and started with him on slicks and the rest of the guys on wets, he would have essentially been 30 seconds up the road while the rest of the field had to pit at the end of the first lap to change their motorcycles. Um, yeah, and, Max, and,
1: yeah, not and, to mention Pramax team boss in that circle angrily just gest- gesticulating, knowing that this shit was <laughs> knowing this shit was about to go down and knowing that his rider was about to get completely screwed by the rule and, book. And,
0: and and what what <laughs> I think it was a bit amateurish the way it was all thrashed out, and it looked bad on TV. There is no yeah, it was it, it very bad, bad on TV. Um, as we had a race delayed, there was no official word from race direction. We always get those tickers along the bottom of the screen explaining what's going on. We got nothing other than start delayed, and that was it. Um, due to safety reasons. Due to safety reasons, there was no kind of verdict on like what was going to happen with the with the grid process. We soon found out as we saw on the pictures. Um, but. I, the more and more I think of it, Dre, as, as amateurish as it looked, I have some sympathy for race direction in this, because th- there are some scenarios, I suppose, that race direction just cannot account for, that the regulations just cannot... You know, I'm pretty sure there is not a line in the rule book that covers that eventuality, where 23 bikes are pushed off the grid and one stays on, um, and essentially you know leaves the rest of the field in, in the wrong, and him in the right, and essentially... I mean, what, could, what, what were race in a position to do? They were kind of painted into a corner, yeah?
1: Yeah, they absolutely were. Um, as, you, as David said, mob rules. It was, like I said, the teams took matters into their own hands on that one. They were willing to drop to the back of the grill, start from the pit lane in order to, to be on the dry bike, which obviously was the right thing to do if you're a team boss, as proven by the race conditions itself. And they were absolutely right to start on the dry tyres. And if you can see... This, this was like conveniently exploiting a loophole because we saw it at the Saxon ring in 2013 when we had half the field on wet tyres and then half the field on dry tyres because the track had dried up just enough before race stopped to consider, in, to consider the dry tyre. And we saw the, 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 the havoc that it wreaked out because we had 10 bikes fighting for position coming out of the pit lane. Um, so what, is it's, it's 10 okay, but like 23 is too much? Like, where's the line here? But as you say, like, they're not going to have that in the rule book now, are they? Like, you can't, like, like, if anything, we've praised race direction in the past for coming up with very good opportunistic solutions to problems like this. We saw it last and a few years back where, again, there was a sudden downpour within minutes of the race start and they said okay we're going to delay the start everybody takes two warm-up laps and then you can make a decision basically and it worked it worked to perfection and we got a great race out of it just despite the fact that we had a second torrential downpour during that race but hey you <laughs> know you can't predict these things yeah, but terms, said, in terms
0: of this one uh, in terms hmm. of what they did this on this occasion uh, I, I, again it looked amateurish and Again, there was very little that I suppose they could have done, but when I saw the solution that race Direction adopted, which was essentially to give King Jack Miller on pole position and adopt basically have six rows of empty tarmac behind him before the rest of the grid lined up, so essentially, Jack Miller started on pole, and the second qualifier, Danny Pedroza, essentially started from what let's 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 calculate this from around twentieth on the grid. Um, yeah. And then Zarco and the rest of the field started from 21st, 22nd backwards. Uh, it just seemed like a very ham-fisted, clumsy way of, of addressing a problem. The way I see it, Dre, you either punish these guys properly for going into the pit lane and give them all right through penalties, or you do nothing and say, sorry, those are the, that's the, those are the rules, that's the way the cookie crumbles, Jack.
1: Yeah, like I, I, think you're absolutely right. I think I think the best solution would have been delay the start and basically cut, class that race as null and void. And yeah. start over with the grid so, as it was meant jacking. to be in the first place. Like, tough luck, Jack, basically. Like, either that or, as you say, give everyone but Jack Miller a wide-through penalty. And that's never going to happen. No. Um, but again, you'd have a, a wide-open pit lane and that would be potential. Because yeah, we scores. had
0: Loris Baz as one of them on Twitter saying, this isn't right, so we need to give Jack Miller a 30-second head start. And I'm thinking, well, it, I, I agree with your sentiment, Loris, but how do you execute you that? Come on. Like,
1: like, how in the rule book do you give Jack Miller a 30-second head start? You can't do it. Yeah, it's uh, the
0: young man TT.
1: No, it isn't. This is, this is not a time delay. We're not going to have aggregate time like we had in the early 2000s of, of MotoGP. We're not going back to that shit again. Um, like, so, yeah, for me, surely the best solution would be just class that race as null and void and start over knowing the track was going to be dry and declare it a dry race. Like, wouldn't that have been the ideal compromise? Like, I know it's, it's shit for Jack Miller, but again, it's not Jack Miller's fault. It's not really Race Direction's fault. It's the team's fault for basically exploiting a loophole that
0: wasn't there in the rules. A running rings around Race Direction, essentially. And, and I mean, how do we... I mean, it's not exactly the first time something similar to this has happened. You referenced Silverstone three years ago. Um, and I, I remember vividly being in the in the media center in that race and just waiting for the the buzz of, of bikes riding down pit lanes we knew it was going to happen um mm. as soon as that that race or the formation up started we just kind of knew what was about to happen um right fortunately on that scenario everyone came in pit lane um so it pretty much made the decision for race direction they didn't have a split they didn't have two camps where no. in, the, in this case we had two very distinct camps one with one rider in it and one with 23 and it was impossible to please both um, but now that this scenario has happened what can race direction do to ensure it doesn't happen again? I mean, I, on Twitter the other, the other night, when this happened, proposed a solution, whereas, I mean, the, first of all, the race was declared wet pre-race. Um, mm-hmm. So f- immediately, flag-to-flag rules are in operation. You can change bikes at any stage in a wet race. Yeah. Um, now, for me, it should be forced on these riders, by regulation, once it's declared a wet race, you have a time cut off before the start. Let's let's pick a figure. Five minutes, ten minutes before the race starts. Ten minutes. Where you have to have your starting tyres in position. In lo- and you're fitted to the bike. And you are not allowed to leave the grid. Unless your bike mechanically will not run. Because otherwise, this scenario surely. The next time we have a mixed condition start. This is just going to happen again.
1: Agreed. Maybe also declaring what type of race it is a little closer to the race start itself yeah. might and, help. And if
0: you fitted the wrong tyres, tough.
1: Yeah, simple as that. Like, you, dec- like say, like I know that the race was declared, but I'd say about half an hour before race start, if I'm guesstimating here. Hmm. Don't declare what type of race it is until 15 minutes ago, and then you can give your teams 10 minutes to say, choose your tyres, because there'll be a cut-off. If there's a cut-off for the pit lane during a quick restart procedure, why isn't there a cut-off here?
0: Yeah. Like,
1: you can't have 98% of your grid roll their bikes into the pit lanes with five minutes before a race is yeah, meant to They, start. they shouldn't that's be allowed like to just. They
0: should be allowed to just make a decision on their own to leave the grid to, because it gains them an advantage.
1: No, like, like that. That's not on. You can't. You can't possibly do that. That was ridiculous to watch on TV. It was ridiculous having 13 team bosses huddled around race direction telling them this is how we're going to hand fist this solution to give jack miller some advantage but not really an advantage <laughs> yeah. they gave him sure. 30, yards. That's what he sure gave 30 yards well done fellas like re- really you did a great job on this one like uh, it was a bad look on tv i completely echo your sentiment on this one it was a it was a bad look on tv having all the team bosses huddled around in a circle trying to figure this out while jack miller is on his own basically being punished for being the only person to make the correct strategy call here and doesn't really get a reward for it it's a real shame it's a it's 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 like Lemony It's a series of unfortunate events really on this one it's like there was there was a lose lose for everybody involved and like now they've got a template yeah. change the rule book to say we'll declare a race with 15 minutes before the start pit lane is closed five minutes before the race kicks off simple problem solved
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah and as I say, I mean you, you, your bikes can still be allowed to enter pit lane, but only in case of mechanical problems as your bike lane. you can't just be allowed just to decide on your own whether your bikes fit or not to just lead the grid um in my in my, in my view um now that that was all shaken out, the race finally got underway what some twenty minutes late um, and surely that's the end of the chaos boy <laughs> how wrong you'd be uh, oh no I Um, because as the bikes are lining up on the grid and Jack Miller's looking behind him, seeing 30 yards of empty tarmac before the rest of the field line up, (laughs) Mark Marquez's bike has stalled uh, on the grid. Now, this is where the chain reaction of events that got the whole world talking really began. Um, Yes. Because Mark Marquez stalls the bike on the grid, and in a way, it was quite fortunate for him that there were 30 yards of empty tarmac ahead of him where he could bump start his bike again and get himself back in position. Unfortunately, though, this is amazing.
1: Should... Oh, what an amazing spectacle that was seeing yeah. Marquez Bob start down the yeah. six rows of empty tarmac. I'm like us riding... oh, no, going again. Let me put it back. Quick. Oh, yeah, riding
0: <laughs> backwards down the home straight whilst you've got two marshals trying to push him into the pit lane. Um, oh. Because if you stall on the grid, you go down pit lane. That, that's part of the regulations, which is why Mark Marquez was given a ride through penalty. Um, and. <laughs> It's amazing. I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And, and there are it many, is. many there are many, many things we're going to discuss here surrounding Mark Marquez. But just a he, Yeah, but when he looks back on this race, he might not be thinking this, but I kind of can't help but thinking, and I'm not just saying this because I had 20 quid on him, um, <laughs> but, but <laughs> if Mark Marquez had just decided to just roll his bike down pit lane and start from pit lane, I'm not ruling out the possibility that he might still have won it.
1: He probably would have still won that race. Because he was th- so
0: much faster than everybody like- else.
1: His pace was absolutely astonishing during that race. In open air, he was one to one and a half seconds a lap faster than the leading group. The the, the group that we had eventually settled down, it was Crutchlow, Zarco, Rins and Miller. And the, in the, that's the leading four with everybody else kind of spaced out, but... Marquez's pace was absolutely insane and like like the, there was there was like entrails coming off the end of the bike like it was like a back to the future movie it was his pace was insane he probably would have won that race from because the, the, starting from the pit lane really isn't like it, like in Formula One for example if you start from the pit lane you don't get to go until all the cars have cleared turn one. That's the rule. I think with MotoGP, it's a little bit less than that. They tend to be a bit more generous with that one. So I think you'd only maybe, obviously, besides losing track position, you'd probably only lose maybe... 10
0: seconds?
1: Like, 10 seconds, yeah, 5 to 10 seconds.
0: Whereas the ride-through cost him 30 seconds.
1: Yeah, 27 seconds was was, was what Keith Ewan worked out the, the ride-through penalty to end up being. It was luckily it was one of the shorter pit lanes in, in, on the calendar, so it didn't hurt Marquez as bad as a normal ride-through would. Not to mention the field was all pretty spread out anyway, so um, that was a benefit to Marquez. Well, partially anyway. More on that in a minute. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I think he he would have had a shot at winning that from the pit lane if he had just rolled the bike down there. Like I, I, I it's funny because Marquez is so ingenious sometimes that he's like, you know what? I'm going to get my bike going again, and then he realizes, oh my god, he's rolling it down the pit lane backwards. You can't do that. Like. Mm. Like if you ever play any racing game on any video game console you've ever seen the one thing they will always tell you never drive backwards, ever I I cannot tell you how dangerous that is Um, as Neil Hodgson pointed out on commentary you cannot delay the start of a race and that's exactly what Marquez did, he was all over the place, apparently the, the race direction marshals were, were confused as well. I don't know what. I don't think we'll ever know the full story behind that. Mm. Um, that that carnage that was on the grid. Something obviously wasn't right there. But Marquez was so ingenious on, on the cuff to think. You know what? Well, I can bump start this. Of <laughs> mm. <laughs> all the I, was like, I would never have thought of that in a million years. But that's probably where you know the 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 red mist had started. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And obviously the the right through penalty that he got as a result of that. Put him back at the, the back of the field again and created the mayhem that followed. And yeah, I mean, I, I would totally understand in many ways to go through that kind of stress seconds before the race starts. That's going to make you lose your composure. Um, mm. But, you know, I would always go as far as to say that from that moment on, Mark Marquez's head had gone. Um, yeah. And, and, it lo- and it looked like it. Um, because let's now sort of get into what followed. Um, he re- rejoined in around, what, 17th position? Uh, Something in the like that, field, yeah. And it became very clear from the way he was riding. He was riding with almost reckless abandon. He was just going all out, which explained his phenomenal pace um, <laughs> as well as, as well as the way he was he's battling with other riders. But the first guy he came up to overtake was Jalais Espargaro. Um, mm. And it became immediately apparent um, that Mar Marquez was again, riding with an element of reckless abandon. And I think the right word that again, David M used the the authority of, of MotoGP journalism I think he used the right word, Dre. Mark Marquez was nothing if not just pure impatience.
1: Yeah, that's what it was. And you know, I, I know Valentino Rossi's made some comments. The one comment I did agree with was when he said, If he's a second a lap faster than me, why didn't he wait? And it, it, he's absolutely right on, on that one. Yeah. Um, t- more on the rest of those later. But like I said, it was like, you're absolutely right. He was a good one to two seconds a lap faster than pretty much everybody in the midfield. And again, a good second faster than anyone on the track, period. Um, so with that logic alone, all he had to do was probably wait till the front straight and he probably yeah. would have got faster than Because
0: the Alasia Spargo award and the Valentino Rossi one, which we'll come on to shortly, there wasn't even a gap to ride through. Uh, he essentially just tried no. to ride through. Like, it was almost like he just. Yeah, he just rammed him out of the way and made contact with the rear of Alasia's bike. And I mean, it, it's a curious corner that 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 Turn 13 at uh, Tomas Giordano. Because I have to say, I know you, I know you tend to remember the, the controversial incidents rather than the clean overtakes. But I can mm. think, I can think of more instances that have gone wrong at that corner than have gone right. Um, yes, it's, just, you know it's, I mean? it's a tricky corner. It's a
1: very tr- tr- tricky technical corner we've at seen, high speed as well.
0: We've seen Yanone hit um, Davizioso there. Um, you know, we, we've seen all sorts of things go wrong there. I um, so Ratings Fire exploded there as well yeah, one time. It's, exactly. It's, it's, it's a very long apex leading into a long winding right-hand apex into quite a tight hairpin. And I think because you take such a late apex into that corner, there is a gap in front of you because you, you start out wide out on the left and then cut into the right as late as possible. So I, exactly. think, it, I think it teases riders in into thinking there's a gap to, to right, I'm going to have a go at this, knowing that that gap is eventually going to close because there's a corner coming up. Um, yeah. And Mark Marquez, I think, was, was, was sort of suckered into that on a couple of occasions. He, he rode through Alicia Spargrove to overtake him, unseen by the cameras. Apparently, he did something very similar to Bradley Smith, too, um, shortly afterwards. Um, now, the incident with Alicia Spargrove saw him given a second penalty of the race. He was told to drop a position. Um, mm-hmm. By that point, he'd already gained about another three, um, how, given yeah. how quick he was. So he dropped behind Thomas Lutie and then promptly zapped him again at the very next corner. <laughs> uh, in, in true Lewis Hamilton Kimi Räikkönen Spa 2008 fashion um, yeah. Rest direction though were like I think they were pretty much at the point of what well, just fuck it just let him get on with it um, yeah. and just let him get on um, his pace from there was incredible he eventually made it up into seventh place uh, behind mm. the only riders ahead of him were that front four that we've alluded to of Crutchler, Zarco, Rins and Miller and the two factory Yamahas of Maverick Vinales and Valentino Rossi um, now with three or four laps to go Marquez comes up behind Rossi and, well, the shit hit the fan from there, didn't it? He, he yeah. tried to ride up the inside of Valentino Rossi, whereas, again, there was no gap to exploit. And contact was made. Rossi ended up riding onto the grass as a result, which was very, very wet and very slippery. And down he went. Um, now, looking at that pure incident in isolation, because a lot of people have compared it to what happened on the opening lap between Joan Zarco and Danny Pedrosa. Not the same. They're not, not the same. Even close. Not even close. Uh, First of all, Zarco's move on Pedroza was it was firm, but it was clean. There was no contact, and also he didn't run Danny Pedroza off the road. He just ran him off the dry line, and Danny hit the wet patch and lost grip and crashed. Yeah, that
1: was that was more unfortunate than Zarco yeah. being. Go- yeah, like it, w- it was hard for lap one, but ultimately that was a fair pass from Zarco. It was a fair. It pass. was just unfortunate that Pedrosa happened to be on a wet patch that day because if it was if it was a dry line, Pedrosa would have been fine. It's mm. just. The unfortunate nature of a very wet track, lap one, dangerous conditions, and Fedrosa zapped the throttle a bit too hard. And he had a nasty high side. Again, luckily, relatively okay. Um, but he looks like he might miss Austin, though, because of the broken wrist he suffered. Mm. It's a shame. Yeah, he's had, uh, he's
0: had an operation in Barcelona this week, hasn't he, as Danny Fedrosa? Yesterday, uh, yeah. And uh, And as far as the the incident between Marquez and Rossi, I mean... <laughs> It was the, In terms of the, the backlash that followed, it was the worst possible rider he could have ran off the road. It was like, anybody uh, else he any, probably get away with that, Mark. Else. But in many respects, that doesn't excuse in any way what no. happened. And uh, and I said on Twitter at the time, I mean, it was the worst possible guy he could have run into. But Dre, I, have to say, I hate to say it because we're big fans of Mark Marquez on this show, but given, given the red mist that had come down and the way he'd been riding all afternoon... That was an accident that i had been waiting to happen from the second he took the ride through.
1: Yes, yes, it was, and I openly admit I've got to take an enormous L on this one because I, I openly admit, and I'll admit it again here, I laughed doing that clip happen purely because it was Valentino Rossi. I'm a bad, I'm a bad sports fan. I sincerely apologise. That was that was dumb of me. Like again, the red mist ended with me as well because I, I thought it was just a little bit funny at the time, but obviously. Hindsight being 2020. Don't get
0: me wrong. I don't think it's lost on anyone. The uh, the sort of consequences of of Sepang 2015. And and I think some people sort of looked at this in some ways. I'm I'm sure Mark Marquez didn't. Well, I know a lot of people look at this as some sort of evening up the scores from Sepang 2015. No, Um,
1: the fact that Marquez went to the Yamaha garage as soon as the race finished said to me he knew exactly what he'd done.
0: Rossi was just in the middle of hitting the tarmac and Marquez had his hand up saying, sorry mate. Yeah, like,
1: he he knew immediately what he'd done. I, I don't think Marquez had any sort of, like, nasty intent with any of the incidents he did. I think that's just the kind of rider that he is. But he knew he did wrong. He put his hand up immediately. He went to Yamaha's garage after the race had finished straight away. Like I'd like to think Marquez was being sincere in that. Like he did it with Lucci, he did it with Rossi. He, he apologized. He tried to go in the Yamaha garage until Valentino Rossi's bodyguard and best mate showed up <laughs> told to get the, <laughs> told him to get the fuck out. Basically, but um, no. Like in all seriousness, this what that, that that is not the advertisement you want for your sport. Kind of. <laughs> if mm-hmm. if you're MotoGP, you're lapping this shit up. But no, that was too far from Marquez. That like the that he was never going to make that move. The gap was always going to close. Um, it was very similar to how Ayrton Senna would ride a car or would drive a car back in the 80s and early 90s. It was either yield or we're going to have this accident. You take the pick. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the accident was made. Um, it, it was unacceptable for Marquez, and that's the sort of riding that will scare people because you always <laughs> did
0: feel like it's, Rossi says it's Mar- himself he feels scared on track with him. <laughs> yeah. Take, take, take that however you will. Um, but but in, uh, but in terms of Mark Marquez, I mean, I, I'm trying to think. I'm very trying to think very carefully as to how we how we address this because for me it. it whether it's a reflection of Marc Marquez as a rider, full stop, I think is a bit far. A bit far but it certainly seemed like a revert, a reversion back to the Moto2 Marc Marquez yes. um, of 2011-2012, where we saw him in the final race that year in Valencia. He came from the back of the grid to win the race. The reason he was at the back of the grid is because he absolutely sideswiped uh, Simone Corsi in free practice. We saw him run straight up the back of, uh, of Willerot in, in a free practice session um, in Australia the <laughs> year before. Um. Um, which was which was an awful incident, and that was an nasty mean, one. it was it was also it could it could have been far far worse than it was. It was just a knee injury for Willerot on that day, but I mean, it could have been fatal. We'll is, have is, is there, exactly is, when I saw that, is this something that Mark Marquez needs to look into at and, and sort of address himself because whatever way you slice it, even if this is a five time six time world champion, we're talking about in Mark Marquez, this is the rider mm-hmm. that in the K in the form or in the shape of a forty five minute Grand Prix got penalised three times.
1: I've never seen that happen before in a bike race. Uh, well, a guy... I
0: don't think he could have argued if he got black flagged in the end.
1: No, no. Like, the 30-second time penalty effectively did the job for yeah. him. It took him out of the point. So, effectively the same thing. Um, you can make the argument that, you know, the symbolic gesture of black flagging him probably would have been a better look for uh, race direction. I think if
0: a rider's getting penalised three times in the, in the space of a single race, he's out of control.
1: Yeah, that's. I don't think that's unfair to say. Um, As for Marquez as a rider overall, if there's one thing we've praised Marquez for in the past, it's that he does seem to learn from these incidents. And, like, he hadn't, like, he's all, like, the thing is, part of the beauty of Marquez is that he's so good at riding that fine line. He did it on so many occasions in the past when he came to these one-on-one dogfights to, you know, replicating the Rossi bump at Jaref in his third ever race in the class on Lorenzo. Like, the one on Aragon where he went too far on the outside of Pedrosa and overcooked it. And, you know, that indirectly led to Pedrosa's retirement that day. And on the other side of the coin, you've got... I remember the Lorenzo pass at Village in Silverstone where he was able to just cut the angle so beautifully that there's nothing Lorenzo could do. And he admitted it after the race, That I just can't do that. I can't lean the bike that far. And it was such an iconic pass. It was part of MotoGP's intro for the TV package. So you can't really win if you try sometimes on these scenarios. And it, I think I said before it gets to an overall point where I think MotoGP kind of relishes these sorts of things really deep down. But, um, because I think the very culture of bike racing itself has been exploiting these debatable incidents. I mean... They enjoy his confrontation. Exactly. I saw Toby Moody went off for a scathing rant on Twitter after the race, and I, and I had to retweet it. I said, listen, Tobes, like, part of your leaving package on Eurosport was, was, they're going to hit! They're going to hit! As Valentino Rossi, like, drives the apex of her ref and bumps Gibranau out of the road to win a Grand Prix. Mm. Now, in any other sport, that would not fly. But in MotoGP... We celebrate that. We put it front and centre on the highlight reels. We, that was one of the most iconic moments in recent bike racing history. It still so, is. It still is. It, it, it would hold up against anything we've seen in the last five years. That was the incident that so pretty
0: much converted me into a motorcycle racing fan. I was a bit of a fence sitter at that point in motorcycle racing. Mm. I was engrossed from that moment on because it, yeah. it captivated everyone. It, it created a real story, a real feud. Um, it, it made you care. It made people care. It created, and it's what many sports need, whether they like it or not, they need heroes and villains. They need people that you want to win and people you want to see beaten. Um, and yep. this is a, it's an incident, again, that I want to touch on, where, and we'll touch mm. on at a moment with Mark Marquez in terms of his reputation from here on in. Um, but I want to bring into in this Paolo Chibati, um the sporting director of Ducati, um, who mm. gave his view to MCN, and he says... Mark is the most talented rider in the championship at this moment in time, but he should pay more attention and show more respect to the other riders. He's one of the best riders ever, but sometimes he needs to care more about the other riders. And I think he hits the nail squarely on the head.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a very fair and very well measured take from Power. I think he's on the money. He is. I've said it. I've said it on my article on on the website. He's the most naturally gifted rider I've ever seen take to two wheels, but. If he had just half an ounce more of, of rider respect, I think we, we, we put him on a plinth with Valentino. It's just because he's had one, I think he's had one of these little incidents too many and it starts to build up a reputation. And it's a shame because 2017, he had two majestic fights with Dovi that were, were clean as a whistle. And, you know, we weren't all bashing Marquez for that. It was just a brilliant bit of racecraft between two of the best riders on the planet. Probably the two best riders on the planet right now um, between between Dovi and Marquez. So he's capable, which makes incidents like this all the more frustrating. And I, I I don't like I genuinely believe that Marquez will learn from this. I hope. I mean, the comments he made a couple of days ago saying he would do the whole thing again and he wouldn't change a thing is a little bit concerning. But I think the right people will, will, will whack him on the side of the head and tell him, Listen, don't do that again. Like that was And you know what, well, he's got a championship to win and he knows he's got a championship to win and he's won the last two, you could argue, by being a lot more disciplined and a lot more well measured. The Argentine you know, the, the qualifying session where he didn't run it on slit tires probably said it all that, you know, this is a different rider from the 21 year twenty-one-year-old that was punting people off the road in Moto 2. But again, the got the God-given talent that he had still shone through. He's got that in spades. He doesn't need to be so impatient as to ram people off the road and use his bike as a battering ram to make these passes. We know anyone in the field knows he's capable of so much more than that. And that's what makes Marquez so frustrating because I think he's the most altruistic, genuinely positive role model the sport has got at the moment, not to mention ludicrously fast and like so, so fast that, We've never seen anything like him in bike racing before. And that's a blessing and a curse sometimes given how talented he is. if he like, I'm going to use a line that Toby Moody used to describe Marco Simoncelli before he died. And that was, if he dialed it down a couple of notches, he'd be an incredible rider. And I think that is how mark marquez needs to be just a little bit more careful just a little bit i'm not asking for much mm. just a little bit because we've seen like he again he, he's so good at riding that line he, he just he was he was just on the wrong side of it this weekend and i hope that was the end of it
0: mm. sometimes i suppose he seems to forget he is still only what 25 years old 25 um, so, he said that himself he said, he said after the mm-hmm. race
1: he said like valentino needs to remember that he was 25 once as well
0: yeah, and, uh, I hope yeah, yeah so uh, hopefully he'll he'll learn his lessons i mean in the in the aftermath immediate aftermath of the incident itself, though was a lot of hot air there were a lot of comments that perhaps people take back dre's already referred to one of his own um, but as far as the two riders themselves um rossi and mark marquez um they both had debriefs with the media afterwards many people chose and uh, took issue or decided to go to those rather than go to the issue of the race winners and the podium finishes in their official press conference which really irked the winner uh, as you'll hear later on um but valentino rossi speaking afterwards um was um as measured as about you should expect, and by that I mean not at all. Um, where, where he said, If you start to play like this, you race the level to a very dangerous point. If all the riders race like this without any respect for their riders, this becomes a very dangerous sport and it will finish in a bad way. I'm scared on the track when I am with Marquez. I was scared today when I saw his name on my board because I knew he was coming to win. You just hope that you don't crash. I'm not race direction, but they will decide like this. He destroyed our sport. When you go at 300 hundred kilometres an hour on the track, you have to have respect for your rivals. I do not know what is the right penalty, but I wanted to speak to race direction, as I do not feel protected by race direction. When you don't feel protected, you have to make your own as nothing happens. If nothing happens next race, he will do exactly the same. I do not have fun when he is with me. He raises the level. He does not play clean. He does not play aggressive. He plays dirty uh, marquez also tried to apologize as we've alluded to he went straight to valentino rossi's garage post-race he was immediately told to go forth and multiply by uccio solucci and lindsey <laughs> Jarvis. um he didn't go to valentino rossi's office directly which rossi took issue with he says his apology was a joke and he could shove it up his ass his direct comments um it was pr he did not have the balls to come into my office alone like always he comes with his manager with honda Uh, He's referring to Emilio Altamora there uh, in front of all of the cameras because this is what is important for him. He doesn't care about you. I don't want him to speak to me because I know that is not true what he says to me. Uh, Mark Marquez, in response to that, says honestly I do not care what he says because I just focus on my words and I know what happened. I recognise my mistakes and I will try to improve for the future. I'm happy for the race as the pace was very good, but about the rest I just try to focus on pushing 100%. But I'm disappointed too, because in my career I never go into another rider thinking he will crash. I try to avoid that. Sometimes you overtake and it is close, sometimes it is clearer. What happened with Valentino was a mistake caused by the track conditions because I took the front and he is wrong to say I did it on purpose um now I, I think we're probably asking a little too much given the egos and the personalities involved so i expect either of them to be particularly measured um no. immediately following the incident um, but what saddens me dre on two counts what really saddens me about this is that any hope of any sort of bridges being built between marquez and rossi not only have they been burnt they've been torched and urinated on um, yeah, after this incident and also what really saddens me is any hope of Mark Marquez's reputation being rebuilt in the eyes of those that hate him and doubt him, again, I think, have been completely evaporated.
1: No, if anything, they've just been doubled downed yeah, on. That really but, saddens me. Yeah, it's a shame, because, like, anyone that knows their history knows that Valentino Rossi is Mark Marquez's hero, and... I know Valentino tried to make out that he wasn't, but the pictures are there, the proof is there. Like Marquez idolized this dude. Uh, I, I don't think Mark Marquez is going on a bike thinking, I'm going to try and take my rival, I'll take my take my greatest hero out of a motorcycle know, race. I'm proof of all <laughs> point. Yeah, and and for what it's worth i think rossi's comments were complete hyperbole and again probably heat of the moment to a degree um like because you could make the ca- like as, as many people have pointed out on twitter in the last week you could make the exact same claims about valentino rossi in his career yeah. that he's making out about mark marquez in the past we've seen incidents like mategi 2010 like her f2006 you know, like, like her F2011 where he slid out, made an over-ambitious pass on Casey Stoner into turn one, took him out of the race, and what did Valentino Rossi do again? Oh, that's right. He went into Casey Stoner's garage of his helmets on trying to apologise and got owned on hard camera for it yep. by Casey Stoner, saying your ambition outweighed your talent.
0: Um, and Stoner so, um, essentially accused Valentino of the exact thing Valentino's accusing Markov of, of trying to make a PR-orchestrated apology for the cameras.
1: Yeah, now... <sighs> I don't think a rider, as soon as they take their helmet off in the paddock, is thinking, you know what will look really good in front of the cameras? Uh, you know, I'm going to run over to, to Yamaha's camp and apologise, that made me look good. And I'm like, well, no, he got banned out of the room. Like, like, if he was going for a PR move, it backfired spectacularly. And I don't think he was thinking that, yeah, to be because, honest. I
0: mean, I, because what would have been great for the sport, and I'm not blaming Valentino Rossi or his entourage for this, um, but, no. what, but what would have been great for the sport was if Marc Marquez had gone into the Yamaha garage not necessarily they'd have been hugging and cuddling, but just a handshake to say, fine, you know, it's happened, you know, I apologise and Valentino accepts the apology, we move on. We would have still been talking about it, we'd have still been yeah. talking about the incident and what an incredible incident and what an incredible race it was, but we'd have at least been able to move on knowing that you know, this isn't going to escalate and it's not going to go out of control and that the two most popular riders in this sport, arguably in this sport's history, can yeah. somehow try and get along amicably. But it is pretty clear, as I say, Dre, that those bridges have been burnt and they're not coming back.
1: Yeah, it's not happening. It's not. Like, that. that is dead in the water to me. And um, it's a shame because, yeah. as I said, they are they are the two most popular figures that I think this sport has ever seen. Um, and it's a shame. Like, Again, it's, it's, it's a double shame because I've seen riders with better temperaments be able to accept those apologies. I and mean, we saw it at this Grand Prix last year. Alicia Spangaro takes out Dovi. Alicia immediately runs over to Dovi, sees if he's okay, apologises. Again, this time last year in, at MotoGP in Cota, we had Dovi, like, you know, Pedrosa took Dovi out by accident. Pedrosa immediately walks over and apologises and asks if Dovi's okay. Apologises again to his face in the Ducati garage at the end of the race when it was when, when the heat had died down a little bit these riders generally do have respect for each other and again i do genuinely think marquez was trying to do the right thing by going up to him and apologizing as soon as the race ended um but you know i'm not expecting rossi to accept the handshake like it's it's a shame i can understand if rossi hadn't done it but kicking the man out of your garage isn't a good look either quite frankly if you ask me um but as you said the like that relationship is in tatters. That's it's it's a bonfire that's been pissed on. It's 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 never coming back. Like Rossi's now just had all the vindication he needed when the Marquez heat died down from 2015 after all the accusations he made about him back then. He's doubled down on them now. Like I don't like for what it's worth. I don't think Marquez is dangerous. I don't think he was trying to be. PR, PR, insightful. I don't. I, I, don't I, would, I
0: would go as far as to say, in this kind of scenario, perhaps he is. But I think yeah. it's such a unique set of circumstances that right. it's very unlikely that he's going to find himself in this kind of scenario again, where he botches the start, has to have a ride through, has to come through the field on a half damp, half dry track. I think in many ways it was a perfect storm.
1: Yeah, it was a perfect storm, and I think people need to take it as the perfect storm that it is. I don't think. Making wide sweeping narratives about Rossi's character or or Marquez's character in particular is the right way to go about this you will never see a race like this again in in my opinion Mm -hmm. to see a guy get penalized three times in the same race is bonkers to see a half wet half dry race like this is already you might get two or three a season he's like the fact that you know Marquez came through with, with passes that you wouldn't normally see in a GP race. One in a thousand. This is like, this is a a storm in a teacup, a perfect storm of all these issues coming together. And of course, the one guy Marquez takes out was of course, bloody Valentino of all all people. Again, if it was anyone else, we're probably critical of Marquez, but we're not expecting this lightning storm to come out because you've hit Valentino Rossi, the biggest name in the sport by a country mile and the guy that still hates your guts. So yeah, it's 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 a storm in a team cup, and I think the best way of going about it is just putting a line in the sand and moving on towards Kota, which Marquez will probably win by about 15 seconds anyway. Uh,
0: so yeah, you could probably you could probably box to start, take a ride through, and still win that one. Um, yeah, but but, uh, but um, in terms of finishing off on Valentino and Mark, I mean, race direction did have them in a room after the race because they they talked to Mark Marquez because there was potential discussions on social media whether there will be any further punishment for Marquez given his conduct in the race and the fact that he had so many penalties. Um, I think wisely race direction decided just to leave it at that. Um, he's taken his medicine essentially because he's not scored any points and he's lost well 10 points, points to his he's yeah. lost 11 points to his chief title rival uh, in André de Vizioso. Um But <laughs> Do I mean race direction or, or MotoGP? Should I say and Donut? I've taken. Why I think it's quite a smart move in that for the pre-race press conference for the next Grand Prix next weekend in Kota, neither Marquez nor Rossi are going to be in it, um, which I think is a smart move to try and defuse. Really, it. That, makes, that
1: makes a change for Donut, yeah. doesn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah, I, I think maybe they're perhaps bowing to Crutchlow as well because I believe for memory the six and riders in the in the press conference are the top four from last weekend. Crutchlow, Rins. Sarko and Miller, along with André Vizioso, and uh, there's one other whose name escapes me. Um, but I, in other words, no, neither Marquez nor Rossi are in it. But do Race Direction need to sit these guys in a room and just remind them of their responsibilities to the sport here, Dre? Because, I don't know about you, but uh, we kind of have this already, but the next time, because there's going to be a next time that Mark Marquez oh, well. and Valentino Rossi are together on track, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be a bit nervous.
1: Just a tad. Um... The blessing is that it looks like the Yamaha is a is a is a vastly inferior bike to the Honda this year, and that might be the blessing yeah. required to avoid that for the most part. Up, yeah, yeah, but um, look, it wouldn't hurt just to sit them down in a room and say, "Listen, fudders, yeah, we we're don't ask you to like each other, but come on." Yeah, we're like when when no one is saying you have to hold hands down the paddock together and be in an episode of missing the apex. But what I am saying here is is that. To show a little bit more respect to everybody and yeah like it, it can't hurt like I mean this the, the problem is is that race direction are going against the exact marketing tactics of the sport who put that termas clash out on their on their website for free they need to be a video boss but you're like, hey, here, here, here's the video you can watch it now and you can make <laughs> it go viral and share it and you know again they they brought up the previous incidents like the one last year and, they, and you know they were milking this dry and you know as a guy who knows this I'm surprised in the freaking slightest but you know, against that and that's kind of part of the problem here. you get this infinite feedback loop where the sport socially wants to enhance the crap out of this one direction obviously want to try and tone it down mm-hmm. and that is going to be a problem going forward because like MotoGP of course is going to spin this up into as big a drama as they can they've just had their highlight for the season in April rather than in November <laughs> for once um, so of course that's going to cause some problems but and again, I don't think it would hurt just to sit those two guys down and just, or, or just sit the paddock down in a safety briefing and just say, guys, we can't have that happen again. Mm-hmm. Like, just just have the utmost respect for your rider on track. Off track, we don't give a shit what you guys do. Like, you know, take to social media and trash each other for all we care. Just have a little bit of respect for each other out on circuit. We have we have a reputation to uphold. Mm-hmm. I, don't think, I don't think that would hurt.
0: Now, in terms of the acrimony and the, you know, Fierce debate. You'd think that would be the end of the matter. Fortunately it's not even close. Um, because alicia Spargro then chimes in uh, on social media. um Now his his tweet was in Spanish, so I'm re- relying on Twitter's own inbuilt translation tool to uh, relay this to you. Um, but he essentially says, I'm paraphrasing. Um, Sanctioning Mark Marquez for his actions in the race is fair. Um, you know, loss of points, etc. But if at Petrux9, which uh, if those of you who have been paying attention will know, that's Danilo Petrucci, has beaten me much stronger. Now, the translation isn't very kind to Elish there, but essentially he means the contact on track is much stronger and much tougher, and he is not sanctioned, then, you know, what's going on? Is it because he's not fighting for the title? Uh, and, he, and he includes a photo of Petrucci essentially riding into the side of Alessio Spargaro. Um, oh. Now, Alessio Spargaro has gone further than that this week in that he has tweeted, or more to the point, retweeted, mm-hmm. comments from a lot of his fans with still images of other incidents that Daniel Petrucci has been in, including an incident off the start line last year with Marc Marquez in Catalonia, uh, a previous mm-hmm. incident at Mijela with Andrea Iannone, a previous incident at the final quarter of Austria with Eugene Laverty, a previous incident with Scott Redding in Argentina as well, um, which for me just comes across very poorly um, it's now, petty it's petty and it, you can't, I hate to say it at least but you come across like a complete dick uh, on social yeah. media with stuff like this um, now this triggered a response from the Pramac team who of course were pretty unhappy with their rider being completely hung out to dry on social media by one of his competitors Pramac decided that they were going to put out a press release to try and not so much defuse the matter but defend their rider If nothing else. Um, And I'll read it to you. Um, Alma Pramac Racing wants to express the disappointment reading some media comments on Donald Petrucci's race. The contact between Danilo and Alicia Spargo did not cause any consequences for the continuation of the race of both riders. Uh, but is nonetheless being considered in the same way as the contact that saw Joan Zarco, Marc Marquez, Aus, Danny Pedrosa and Valentino Rossi from the race. Danilo himself was touched by siren on the last lap, having to widen his trajectory and allow Andrea Iñone to pass. In the hope that these reflections can be shared or analysed by the media, we give all of our fans an appointment in Austin with the commitment to continue to give Danilo Petrucci and Jack Miller the great emotions felt during the first two weekends of the 2018 MotoGP season. Alessia Spargo responds to this on Twitter by saying, Ha ha ha, he hit me harder than Marquez did. Bullshit. The picture is there. <laughs> Don't lie, everybody. At Patrux9 is always, in all caps, riding like this. Um, Francesco Guidotti, the team boss of Pramac, tries to respond by saying, um, Anyway, Patrux has been softer with than you with Dovi in Argentina 2017. You stop bullshit and try to dolce in safety commission, i.e. dance, not on Twitter. Aleish responds to that by saying, You are nobody to tell me what I have to do, and yes, I made a big mistake with Dovi, and I apologize to him, and I didn't say bullshit and lie to people, as your team is doing. Yikes! It gets worse, folks, because Xavier Simeon tries to be the voice of reason, and tries to calm this all down. He says at the end, um, it's always the same people complaining just for media interest to show their name. The only one who can complain today is Jack Miller. He had to win the race with 30 seconds advantage. That's it. We can debate as long as you want. I have my opinion in many things as you have yours. At the end, somebody gives you an opportunity like someone gives me and many riders in MotoGP today, and are in the same situation as you and my situation, so stop. Um, Simeon, essentially, like I say, trying to calm things down. Alicia Spargro says, Ha ha! Many more can complain about a lot of things, for example, about riders that pay for a race when many good ones are home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Simeon dude. tries to say you are out of control. What did you win on making your career to go to GP Before you go there, nothing. You are also one of many, only an opportunist. Um, <clears throat> Alexis <Alicia laughs> also says, okay, but don't compare your situation with mine because it's like comparing a bicycle with a truck. Um Yeah, it's all got very unnecessarily petty Um, between two riders who had nothing to do with the big incident of the week. um, Alexis Bargro also saying to Xavier Simeon um, after Simeon said, I'm sure of one thing after that, it's that you are fucking stupid. And thanks (laughs) for your attention to me and taking the time to answer my tweets. The latest response was, it's a pleasure. Next year, you could be my CM, because you'll be standing for chief mechanic. If you want, you will have a lot of time added with a wink emoji. And no one really comes out of this whole thing well, Dre. <laughs> uh, I mean, Xavier Simeon seems like he was trying to defuse it and try and calm everybody down. I think he liked his lesson. Um, just leave oh. leave, 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 leave Alaysha the hell alone on Twitter. I think we'll do the there. But Alaysha Spargaro, who we've got a lot of time for, he's a talented rider, and I respect him highly, but on social media, he comes across awfully there.
1: I try to. I tried to defend him to a degree because I do appreciate the fact that he is one of those few guys in 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 motorsport that isn't afraid to speak his mind, and I respect mm. that to a degree because, like, there is a lot of PR bullshit in all forms of motorsport. I, I mean, you, you talk about you talk about it on my sister program all the time. I talk about it all the time about. The nature of pr bullshit like we saw it with verstappen and you know hamilton when when hamilton called the a dickhead on the hard camera not the smartest move lewis um but you know i, I respect the leash for speaking his mind but that wasn't necessary at all he 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 made it personal and that there was no need to make it personal now to be fair, he makes a valid point about Petrucci is that, you know, if it, if it is true that Petrucci has hit him how he's hit him, why isn't he under investigation from the yeah. Stewards? That is a fair point.
0: But there are but ways of- there are ways of making that point, aren't there? Yeah. And Eugene yeah. like Eugene Laverty got involved after that because of course, he had his he, he was injured um, in Austria in sixteen by, by Delilo Petrucci's attempted overtake at the final corner and he says good to see you speaking up about this Aleish I tried to make this point after Austria 16 because repeat offences need to be taken more seriously Petrucci already injured my brother in Aragon 13 with his usual in inverted commas diagonal dive overtake attempt and no apology Um, and if there's a as you say if there's a genuine debate to be had about Danilo Petrucci's conduct on track let's have it let's have it in the safety commissions and let's try and come to an agreement and try and sort this out but Essentially, the guy has been hung out to dry on social media, and a a Twitter storm and a hatchet job against him has been created on social media, which I don't think is fair in the slightest.
1: No, and you got to remember, like as Bradley Smith quite eloquently pointed out last year, no one goes to the safety commissions anyway, and that's part (laughs) of the problem here. As Bradley pointed out, was like, oh yeah, Valentino wants to complain about safety. Oh yeah, he didn't show up to any of the debriefs about track safety last year. Oh, funny that. Um, So. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's like again, I, I, and I repeat, Elish made a fair point. Like Petrucci probably should have been infringed for for what seemed to be an illegal overtake. You know, by any accounts, if he's coming in from that angle and he's hitting Alicia Spagaro like that, why wasn't he under investigation? It's a fair question to ask. However. There is no need to rinse the man out in public. That's what safety commissions are for. That is what private meetings are for. That is what being professional is about. You don't, you, you shouldn't be trying to drag somebody's name through the mud via Twitter. As funny as it was, Petrucci looks a thousand <laughs> times worse as a result through it. And Xavier Simeon, who I think genuinely was trying to defuse the situation has been, again, embarrassed on social media by Alicia Spagaro. Like, the claim he came out was saying that you were a page rider, and the whole panic agrees. That is an awful thing to say about yeah. somebody. And there was no need for Simeon to make it, or at least to go, to, to basically litter Xavier Simeon with personal insults around about his riding ability, when he, again, was trying to make valid points. And... It's a shame, again, it's gotten really ugly, and again, I, I respect Alish to an extent, for again, for speaking his mind, I appreciate yeah. that, I, 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 I appreciate the transparency in a sport that often hides behind press releases and private meetings, and the sanctity of what goes on the track stays on track, which I've always said is bullshit, but... You shouldn't be doing that to throw two riders under the bus like that. That was unnecessary.
0: Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. I think it's just to again, to calm down. But it's clearly this is a a view that's been sort of festering for a while. And and like I say, the the retweeting of, of still images... Of uh, of incidents that Baruch has been involved in the past was without any kind of context for what they were actually. Exactly, doing. it's just totally out of order. I mean, I mean, I had to go and rewatch the the Marquez one from the start in Barcelona last year and. That was in no way a dirty move from Danilo. That was just two riders on the, off the start line that happened to bump into each other. No, and, that, uh, that,
1: that was not a Danilo incident
0: at all. You know, <laughs> it's, like, it's very easy to, to, you know, he's sitting in a glass house and throwing a lot of stones. It's very easy to do that with still images that don't actually provide an accurate representation of what happened. The best example of that, I'm mixing sports here, but Dre will remember this well. Remember the old famous Luis Suarez non-handshaker Patrice Evra? Um, yes. Back here when Magic United played Liverpool. And then there was, on that very day, there were people trying to post a still image of it, like it was somehow Patrice Hefra's fault. We're not yeah. shaking, uh, shaking. How star dare you not accept the handshake of the man who called me... Ra- like, uh, it was exactly. racist. And, and it's, like, it's on this occasion. It's like you're showing still images of these incidents, which, yeah, some of them might well have been Danilo's fault, but you're essentially painting this guy as some dirty rider without actually providing the accurate context and the full body mm-hmm. of evidence to support it. And it's just totally out of order mm-hmm. for Malaysia Spargo. And yeah, I, I totally echo your comments. That we, we shouldn't be trying to... Uh, stop riders from speaking their mind on social media, but I think he crossed the line and he was out of order in in his treatment of Danilo Petrucci. Blimey. We're an hour and two minutes into this recording and we still haven't even discussed the battle for the race victory um, in the Argentine Grove break. I think we need a musical break. Don't worry, Cal, we'll talk about you in a minute. with us on Bike Live, this is episode 54, looking back on the Argentine Grand Prix. And let's talk about the battle for the victory, because... What? I, I know there was one, believe it or not, unseen by most of us, but um, before we actually talk about the, the battle itself and who was in it and who won it, Dre, um, the sport is in a, a very rare sort of golden age at the moment in terms of how competitive it is um, and how many competitive riders and how many competitive teams and bikes there are out in the field um and we have to make this point dre how great was it for MotoGP in just the second race of the season to have a battle for the victory that involved a, a rider on an, for an independent team on a honda an independent rider on a yamaha an independent rider on a on a Ducati, and a suzuki rider
1: on concessions because his factory's yeah. not been competitive how great um welcome to the british touring car championship yeah. um but um yeah quite right um Fantastic to see. There's there's no better word for it. It's fantastic, and as you say, and and, yeah, three. Like if you'd have said to me four years ago when it was literally pick one of four to win a Grand Prix between the two bikes in orange and the two bikes in blue, to to, the progression we've gotten now to the point in 2018 where we had three satellite riders. And one factory on concessions with the Suzuki in the case of Alex Rins to help balance the playing field a little bit. You like, I'd have cut your arm off. That that, that would have been impossible. There is there is no way that would ever be imagined to potentially be a thing. But here we had Cal Crutchlow, Johan Zarko, Alex Rins, and Jack Miller competing for a race win back and forth, and again, a clear front four. Compared to, to compared to everyone else, the factory Yamaha's and and the factory Ducati of Dovi was nowhere to
0: be seen. And they were, a, and that's a point that needs to be underlined because you know this wasn't, yeah, there was a, it was a crazy race with lots of dramatic incidents in it. But only one of those you could really argue affected this battle for the lead, and that was Marquez's rider at the start. Um, you know he was the only rider that on any kind of level was going to beat these guys in the race. So <laughs> at the very least, this would have been a battle for second place. They legitimately were. Far quicker than the factory Yamaha, far quicker than all of the factory Ducatis and, and basically everybody else in the field. This was a legitimate, once Mark Marquez had his ride through, which was his fault, this was a legitimate yeah. battle for the win between four guys that you would not necessarily have put in your front three favourites for the championship at the start of the season, which is fantastic for the sport. And for Cal Crutchlow, he won it in the end and leads the MotoGP World Championship after two races. I mean, we, we, yeah. did, we did say before the start of the season, Dre, we kind of teed it up. Don't be at all surprised if this guy wins a race this year. Um, and with Hondas looking so competitive and with Marquez and Pedroza taken out of play for various reasons, Cal Crutchlow was in the position to convert it and a fully deserved victory. And, you know, we shouldn't forget, he was fourth in the first race, so a fully deserved championship lead for Cal.
1: Absolutely. He's done it on pure merit. And as he would tell you in, in, in Park Fermi, don't doubt me. <laughs> um, like, like I think just that was just peak Cal Crutchlow grumpiness at the end of that, especially given he got next to no attention in the post-race debrief. Show me respect, fella. damn it! Yeah, <laughs> respect, Matt Faraday. Um, poor, poor Cal. Um, but uh, yeah, completely agree. He absolutely deserves the championship lead he's got. He performed very, very well in Qatar, and he did it again here. It was. Just just uber strong. No, like What I loved about Cal is he said he predicted he was going to win the race. He, he thought he had it in the bag. Um, <laughs> he, he, he said he won it comfortably in the end. He said he didn't feel any pressure. He didn't feel his tyres were going to go. He didn't take Zarko as a threat in that scenario. I was like, I think he's a
0: bloody liar personally. Yeah. But yeah, I think he would have but... finished a bit further away from you if he wasn't a threat.
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, he was only point 0.2 behind him, going over the line together, basically. But uh, like again, as you say, completely deserved for Carlos Lo. Like, he, he's he's been fantastic, you know, in in both races so far. Done exactly what he's needed to do for Honda. Um, not making silly mistakes like he was in previous years, and yeah, just getting his head down. And he saw the opportunity to go for the win today, and he, he took it with both hands, and he got it. And Pour one out for Johan Zarco, Mm because that first win is coming. It is absolutely coming. And it's like, he's got to be thinking like, what is he? What has he got to do to win a Grand Prix at this point, Zarko? Because that's the closest he's gotten now—only only two point a quarter of a second, more or less, off the victory—and he still hasn't got a w to his name. Poor fella. But um, yeah, as said, a, br- a brilliant, deserved um, championship for Cal—the first Brit to lead the championship in almost 40 years, which is bonkers to say the least. But uh, well earned, Cal.
0: Mm, absolutely, a brilliantly judged victory from 10th on the grid. We shouldn't forget, or point, mm-hmm. more like 28 by the time they. Shuffle them all back down the field. Pretty much. Um, but um, yeah, a, a terrific victory for him. Um, as you mentioned, he leads the world championship, and I mean it's difficult to say how long he'll lead it for because we're not I don't think we're expecting him to challenge for the championship necessarily, but he does have some very neat points on the board at the moment. Um, but there's no reason really, given how competitive he's been right from the start of preseason testing, um, and through the opening race weekend in Qatar. There's no, There was no reason to suggest that, no matter how many crazy conditions and crazy scenarios came to pass, that Calcutt's could not win a race this year. So there's no reason, Dre, to suggest that he can't win more of them.
1: Yeah, he's a race winner and Honda looks like a looks like the best bike in the field so far this season, so why not? Like why not have the belief that Cal can win multiple races this year? He did it in he did it in twenty sixteen after all. There's no reason why he can't do it again. He's always been good in wet conditions. This was a, a, a changeable conditions race, you could say. And again, Crutchler was very strong. Um and as I say, like the Honda bike right now looks like an excellent base package going from weekend to weekend. It's been strong in RD it, it tends to go strong in RD anyway, but in Cata it was stronger than it was supposed to be on paper again, Marquez again, a bike length off the victory, uh, and, a, and a track that he doesn't tend to go well around, so the way it's going right now I don't see any reason why Caraccio can win another two, round or two in there somewhere if, if the right scenario befalls him, because the Honda is strong there's no, there's, no, there's no doubt in it, and again he's going to a track now at Cota where, you know, again another track where Honda tends to go very well in
0: yeah, absolutely. He's got every, every reason to suggest that a podium is on um, in Cota next weekend. Um, as I mentioned, he goes there as the championship leader and he leads it by eight points. Uh, sorry, he leads it by three points for Divizioso and he's then ten clear of Zarco uh, in third. So he's in a pretty strong position to leave Cota and head to Europe uh, as championship leader um, in a few weeks' time. Um, you mentioned Zarco, the man he beat to the victory by a smidge in the end over the line. And yeah, that, that first win is surely coming for Joan Zarco. Um, it's a matter of time um, but even though he didn't win the race straight again another terrific weekend for the Frenchman and he was the fastest and most competitive Yamaha rider by such a distance that even he could have probably taken the ride through penalty and still beaten the factory boys
1: Zarco finished almost 15 seconds in front of Maverick Vignanes in the end um, again Bit of an embarrassing display there by the movie star EMR team. Even if Valentino Rossi hadn't been taken out, it would have been fifth and sixth over the line for the Peralim and a distant fifth and sixth at that. Um, Fifteen or so seconds off the, off the win was, was Maverick. He was 15 seconds off Crutchlow's winning time. Um, they, they said in the, I looked at the Times this morning that Maverick did have the leader's pace towards the end, but it took him such a long time to get going. It was very much like Qatar. It was a carbon copy for Maverick. It was a case where he was poor at the start, but he was very fast at the end again. Very weird for the Yamaha team. But as again, as as, as mentioned, Johan Zarko on that 2016 Tech 3 is performing as well as anyone in the championship right now. His pace is fantastic. And again, he's making a mockery of the, of, of the factory team who,
0: who, who can't sign him now. So, yeah, um, yeah this, is, this is quite the pickle that Yamaha's put themselves in now. Yeah, he is ahead of both factory Yamaha riders in the championship. Uh, again, partly due to Rossi's tangle with Marquez, but he is third in the championship at the moment with Joan Zarco, ahead of Vinales, who's fourth, and Rossi, who is eighth. Um, but a terrific outing um, for him. Um, the podium was completed by Alex Rins on the Suzuki. Um, And we'll talk about the fourth man, Jack Miller, who will have left uh, the country and probably won't ever want to return to Argentina again um, after the way the circumstances conspired against him in the race. But but we have to talk about Rins. And uh, again, another rider who we've been flagging up from the winter about how good this kid could be this season. But I'm not so sure we expected a podium at race two, Dre. And I think you're on mute. I've no idea what you're
1: talking about. (laughs) I (laughs) was I was having a good run of form there for, like, a few fugue of having that happen. Damn it. Um, yeah, gosh. Um, Alex Rins, wow. Um, as you say, Suzuki, they've kind of been up and down the last two or three years in MotoGP. They've had moments of brilliance with like, Maverick getting that first win since they came back. But on the other side of the coin, they've they've fallen up and down the field on, on occasions. But Rins, I mean, he, he looked very strong towards the end of... Um, it was the end of 2017, you know, multiple top five appearances, beating fellow factory riders on several occasions. And he's, he's, he's taken that ball and he's ran with it. He's, he's, he's still, deal, yeah. he, 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 is a stud. He's the real deal. He is, um as good as anyone in that top six or seven now quite frankly and yeah like he, he he was running in that leading group in Qatar before the crash unfortunately and then in this in this case again was challenging for the victory and his race was a little bit shaky had a couple of errors towards the end of that race that put him a little bit back from the front two but that's the first time he's ever been in the leading group for a Grand Prix victory he will get better from this he will learn um, you know he he will be faster there's no doubt about that um but to finish third like that, and it's only what your t- your 21st I like not even your twenty, because you he, he missed four rounds through injury last year. Mm. So for any fifteenth or seventh, like, something like a seventeenth or eighteenth top flight race, and you're on the podium in a bike that doesn't on paper look like it should be that good, and to finish 21 seconds ahead of your teammate, Andrea only down the road. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant from Alex Rins. The first podium and first of many. He he is a stud, and you know the rumours that are coming through that like he's about to sign a two-year extension are well deserved.
0: Tie him down.
1: Yeah, like they're going to tie him down because he's Suzuki's number one going forward, and then he's riding like it right now. Superb stuff from Rins yet again.
0: Yeah, absolutely a, a stellar, stellar weekend for Rins. Pretty much many in many ways, just as he was in Qatar, but on this occasion he finished it off with a result uh, on the Sunday. Um, terrific weekend for him and full Suzuki team I don't believe this affects their concessions just yet because it was a sort of mixed conditions damp to wet race so I don't think they quite lose the concessions just yet um, but Rins in third Jack Miller in fourth having led for the first half of the race and it was Rins who was leading the chase for him for a lot of that race as, as Dre mentioned there were a couple of incidents where Rins tried to dive through to the lead outbraked himself and fell back again um, mm. which, um, which gave Jack Miller a temporary reprieve and um, But in many ways, fourth position doesn't really feel like an adequate response or an adequate reward for how good Jack Miller was this weekend. We've already alluded to the start of the race and how he was kind of shortchanged by the circumstances and and the way the race ended up getting underway. Um, But even so, pole position and fourth place for Jack Miller is some weekend for him. It says a lot for Jack Miller that that seems like a bit of a shortchanged weekend for him.
1: It is. It, it, it was an incredible weekend for Jack Miller. Like a a a case where fortune truly favoured the brave on, on this last occasion. Year's Dikati, and, let's not forget. Yeah, last year's Ducati on a GP17. Let's not forget. Um, proof that bike can, can still go, can't it? Jesus. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the. Uh... Um, yeah, Miller finishing four seconds off the win. Again, a few mistakes during the race itself. Um, dropped off to a little bit towards the end. Um, but never, I think, is a guy going to be more infuriated by finishing fourth. Uh, after all the shit that had happened to him the previous weekend, um, the pole position was true bravery personified to, to even get that. The fact he didn't get a 30-second head start from the from the grid was ridiculous. Because, again, the teams basically decided, no, you know what, Jack, you're not getting your advantage, basically. <laughs> Um, and then in the race where he was punched up a little bit there by his, his best mate Cal Crutchlow, Zarco and, and and Rins some old adversaries there as well. Um, bitterly unlucky for Jack, I think it's the phrases because in, in, in an alternate universe he wins that race by about 20 seconds. Um, but yeah, it wasn't to be, but still, like I mean, that's the second best finish he's he's ever had in MotoGP, only behind that miracle win at Aston a couple of the years back. And, you know, he's been great all season long um, already. He's he's shown constant improvement. He's going to be another guy to keep an eye on as the season goes on. This was a fantastic weekend for him, and I hope he's not too ticked off by it because he's just really, really good at this now. And that was a fantastic weekend for Jack.
0: It is. That was your top four, then, the battle for the win. Next up was Maverick Vinales in the end. Once Mark Marquez has been thrown out of there um, and out of the Grand Prix, um, I mean, he's ahead of Mark Marquez in the championship, is Merrick Vinales, so it, it's not all bad for him. Um, but from, from movie star Yamaha's point of view, and if we're looking at their season as a holdry, as, as worrying as it must be that they were comprehensively outpaced by Joan Zarco, for me, isn't it even a, it, it's an even greater worry that Mark Marquez was able to take a ride through the pit lane and still beat them on the road
1: that's humiliating no matter which way you slice it that's the man you were trying to beat and he he lost best part of 30 seconds for a ride-through penalty and still beat both of you on the road Uh, and this is with Marquez losing several seconds by the the Rossi clash and he still finished ahead of Maverick Vinales like Jesus Christ like like I don't, like, Lin Jarvis was very quick to be very aggressive towards Marquez. Alarm bells should be ringing in his camp for it, for, 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 for the team and for his job. This is not a good look. That team is struggling at the moment. And if they're being comprehensively beaten by Johan Zarco and humiliated by Mark Marquez in your direct arrival, something is badly wrong in that camp. Like, to finish 15 seconds behind an independent Honda, uh-uh, that can't happen. That That is unacceptable if, if, if you're if you're a part of the Yamaha factory team right now. They need to find a solution and quick. Problem is, they're not particularly good around Kota either, and that could be a problem.
0: No, I was about to say they've never won there, but no one, unless your name, Mark Marquez, has ever won there, so we shouldn't really okay. criticise them for that too much. Um, but yeah, uh, they're unlikely to uh, take victory in the next round, and... Jaret went. Hareth was an absolute dumpster fighter them last year as well. That circuit has been relayed since then. But yeah, mixed, mixed feelings for Yamaha. They started the season with a decent enough result for Rossi in Qatar. And Vinales showed promising pace. But Argentina was all wrong, went all wrong for them. So work to be done for that team. Uh, behind Vinales in the race result, once Mark market's been thrown out, was Andrea Dovizioso in sixth. And I mean, about as poor a race weekend as we've seen from Dovizioso and the Fanchi Ducati team, <laughs> For a long while, I mean, Philippine last year wasn't great, but um, it's very rare, I think, that we've seen him and the team look so uncompetitive through an entire weekend. Dobby was in Q1, let's not forget, um, on Saturday. <coughs> um, he, he finished sixth, stayed out of trouble in the end, just kept his nose clean, finished sixth. And in the end, Ray, I mean, Chicati are going to have rounds this season, it's clear, where they're uncompetitive and which weekend's where they're unbeatable. Uh, this was clearly the former um, but in the end, Davizioso got out of Argentina with ten points, and when well, you look at the championship, despite all of the disappointment of his race pace in Argentina, he came out of the weekend not in too bad a position.
1: Yeah, um, thanks to Marquez's effective disqualification. Yeah, he's actually not looking too bad with the sixth place there in the end. That's about it's as bad points as. Points ahead of him. Yeah, exactly. He's fifty, still plus fifteen on Marquez, and. I said the sixth place was about as bad as Ducati was last year. So, like, on a bad day, that was about as bad as Ducati would be besides the Phillip Island race, where that was a unmitigated disaster that effectively killed Dovi's season. Um, but another thing to point out as well, Jorge Lorenzo. Yeah, nowhere, to be se- in, but yeah. Yeah, nowhere to be seen. 1 point, 15th place, 42 seconds off the victory. Um,
0: and now be linked go- with Suzuki.
1: Yeah, I think Lorenzo's time in red is just about up. Just thought I'd point that out from here. But as said, yeah, Dovey will take that damage limitation for sure. That was, uh, um, grand scheme of things, um, given that Marquez effectively left of a donut. It'll t- that's, that's effectively 10 free points. Um, so he'll take him, And that you know that was not a bad round. Again, guys in, ahead of him are guys you probably wouldn't consider to be long-term title threats as well. So he's come out of that situation pretty solid overall, I would say.
0: Yeah, and he's and he's in a position now where there's a strong chance that he might get out of cota next weekend still ahead of marking the championship, which he probably would not have expected before the season started, that he can get to Europe and still be, at the very least, level with Marquez uh, in the championship. I think Ducati would consider that mm-hmm. a, a net win uh, from the first three rounds uh, of the season. Um, just a quick side note before we move on, on Lorenzo, his weekend started with some uh, comments that were um, that emerged from an interview with Movistar in Spain on Spanish TV, which appeared to be taken out of context, where he appeared to be th- throwing some mod in Dobby's direction, accusing him of undermining him um, which, as I say, those quotes appear to be kind of taken out of context when not played in in you know in conjunction with the full interview itself, rather than just showing the quote itself. But either way, a pretty poor weekend uh, for Jorge Lorenzo and not a race weekend. He'll be keen on revisiting um, other riders that deserve mentioning before we move on to Moto Two. Uh, another of them, a Ducati rider in seventh place, Tito Rabat. It's a career best Moto GP result for him. Um, And when the Raider Waste weekend panned out, Dre, not a result he looked into by any means. He looked like being a top 10 contender right throughout the weekend. And he's really fitting in on that Ducati, isn't he?
1: He's doing a fantastic job. Yeah, that seventh-place career-high finish. uh, There was a great picture of him on social media with Alex Rins drinking the night away in a bar in Argentina after celebrating their best career finishes, respectively. Those two go back, um, to say the least. But, um, yes, um, again, a brilliant weekend from Tito Rabat. Again, I wonder if he looked like he was going to be there pretty much all weekend long. It, It wasn't a surprise to see him up there. He was strong all the way through. Again, again, a guy on on a, on a on a slower GP bike, the GP seventeen more effective than the eighteen in some cases. Bit weird. Only finished half a second behind Ovi. Very, yeah. very odd. Very, very odd weekend for the Ducatis across the board. But Rabat was and again brilliant pace all the way. At times, like he could have been the best Ducati in the field on paper. So again, not a surprise really to see him that high up the field. Again, brilliant job from Rabat.
0: Yeah, Andre Iannone was close behind as well on the uh, second of the Suzuki's in eighth. And in ninth position came Hafish Sayarin, um, who, you know, I mean, for him to finish ninth in his second Grand Prix as a rookie is, is terrific. Even before you begin to consider how his rookie campaign got underway, he didn't even join the, the, the circus and start testing until the Thailand test. I mean, this guy is clear, Dre, is a very, very quick learner and he's doing way better than any of us had any right to expect.
1: Yeah, this was again like I was.
0: People were expecting he might be up there if it rains. It
1: wasn't really a wet race by all accounts. It was on the slick tires, and it, it, it was a, by all accounts it was a dry race. But Siren again, brilliant. He's learning very quickly, and his the lap time, his pace was excellent all the way through. Um, and again, to be in the top ten just your second race out there, given that he was. On restricted running compared to all the other rookies in the field. Phenomenal for Mephi Siren. Continues to impress.
0: Yeah, terrific weekend for him. All right, then, let's run through the result at the end of all of that. Cal Crutchlow, the winner. Um, he probably wants us to mention it a few more times because he thinks that we've all forgotten. Cal Crutchlow, the winner, from Joan Zarco and Alex Rins, if you imagine who predicted that podium pre-weekend. Jack Miller, fourth, although he probably deserved more than that. Maverick Vinales, fifth. Dobby, sixth. Tito, seventh. Yanone eighth. Havish Siren ninth. And public enemy, number one, or public enemy, number two, unless you're Mark Marquez, Danilo Petrucci completes the top ten. <laughs> Just ahead of Alesi's brother Paul, who is 11th. That's KTM's first points of the year. Scott Redding in 12th. That's Aprilia's first points of the year. Takaki Nakagami in 13th. That's his best so far as a rookie. Morpidelli, 14th. And Jorge Lorenzo, 15th. It's just as well for him that so much happened in that race weekend that we don't have time to talk more about him. Championship standings then after two rounds incredibly look like this. Cal Lowe, the championship leader on 38 points from possible 50, three clear of Davizioso in second. joan Zarco is in third. That's 10 off the lead. Maverick rinales is fourth on 21. Marquez is fifth on 20. Jack Miller sixth on 19. Petrucci seventh on 17. Rossi eighth on 16. Level with Alex Rins and Andrea Iannone round out the top 10 in the championship. Honda lead the Manufacturers Championship with 45 points from a possible 50, thanks to Cal Crutchlow's victory at the weekend. Right, we've just about got time to talk Moto2 and Moto3. So let's do that and start with Moto2. <laughs> and a really good Moto2 race. It was a very tense race throughout. It had a close battle up the front right throughout the Grand Prix. And it culminated in one Italian that does leave the race weekend in Argentina with a smile on his face. Mattia Pasini, his first victory since that memorable win in Mugello last week last year, and he leads the Motu 2 championship after two rounds of the season. And a very nicely judged win from Drey, because he had guys circling all over him for pretty much the entire Grand Prix. Be it Viaje, be it Oliveira, um, be it Baldazzari, be it Marquez, but Pessini held it all together.
1: He did. It was a it was a high pressure sort of race where Pescini was, you know, he he looked the most comfortable at the front, but uh, you would you wouldn't have guessed it by watching it. Um, absolutely agreed that he was he was under the cosh pretty much from the start. For again, Miguel Oliveira was fast. Xavi Yague was very fast indeed all through weekend. Xavi's first um, pole position in the class as well was another landmark moment for him. So. Yeah, um, as you say, there was a lot of pressure on him right from the get-go, but he he shined through, survived the pressure and got through and took the W. It was a very professional job from Bassini. And to be fair, that win's been coming. He's been, again, up and around the top for, gosh, a long time now. He's, he's not been able to get to get a win since Majeda, which is, again, now you say it is actually kind of a surprise given how strong yeah. he's been on occasion. So, uh, yeah, I'm genuinely surprised at that.
0: Yeah, terrific win for, for Bassini. Um, as far as Vieje is concerned, second place for him, which goes without saying it's his first podium um, in Moto 2, because he spent all of his Moto 2 career up until this year on the missed draft with Tech 3. Um, and whilst it's difficult for me to shake the feeling that had he not ditched that team last year, he'd probably be where Siren is now in Moto GP, um, he's, he's, having, he's having a good time of it in Moto 2. And um, this is a kid who, I mean, I've been quite hired ever since I saw him on that Moto 2 bike with Tech 3. but... He's built a really strong reputation for himself in the intermediate class and, you know, in those tricky conditions of qualifying to take his first pole position and then to convert it into a second place when it looked at first as if he'd been detached from that leading group early on, didn't it? He was in that second group with Marquez yeah. um, and managed to get across, managed to jump across the gap to get with that front three, um, which was Pessini and Oliveira um, and and Baldessari at the time. Baldessari would later fall back towards the second group with Marquez. Um But it sure as hell looks like Vierge's arrived as a credible threat now in Moto2.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. Um, Gosh, he he might be giving Moto GP team bosses a headache anyway, even if he... he, The way he's going right now. Again, the first pole position in the class um, on the Saturday. And again, you know, bridged the gap very well to, you know, had such tremendous pace. He was able to get up to that leading group and very nearly win the Grand Prix in the end. So... Yeah, the way it's going, why wouldn't you think they they would you know, he'd be up there? Because he's he's doing a tremendous job. He's building his reputation up quite nicely.
0: Vierge yeah, hey, finishing second in the Grand Prix. Then third went to Miguel Oliveira uh, on the KTM. His first podium of the season. Uh, Brad Binder taken out or more took himself out of the Grand Prix very early on when he ran up the back of Jorge Navarro. Um, in the very same corner that had us all talking later on um, in the Grand Prix. Um, I mean, Oliveira, at the end of the first two rounds of the season, is fifth in the championship on 27 points. He's only, what, uh, 11 off the overall lead. So he's not exactly had a bad start to the season, but it's not the dominant runaway train that we were expecting from KTM, is it? No, it, it it is not. No,
1: um, again, Miguel was strong. That was again a, about where he finished this time last year. Right right just just outside the leading group, and a little bit off where he probably would have wanted to be. It's weird. Like as you say, I think you're right. I think KTM had the potential to run away with this, and they aren't so far. Like Kalex seems to have found a little something again, where they're now back in control. Um, up the front of it, it looks like the Calix is overall. I would say are still a little bit stronger than the KTM's. Um, it's, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Again, it's still early days; only a couple of rounds in. I think, yeah, most people will tell you the European times when it really starts to get interesting. when We're getting up towards that point quite soon if I'm in about three weeks' time. But um, yeah, as you say, it's it's interesting. KTM had the potential to run away with it; they, they looked incredible towards the end of last year. They've not been able to replicate that so far. Oliveira, you know was my title pick going in thinking he was going to win the championship he's he's doing okay but not quite where we were hoping he was going to be again still early days again luckily we've had two different winners banni was did not have the best weekend so he's he's a little bit probably back from where you know he probably is, is expecting to be in the title race so this really isn't all that bad for miguel at the moment um but i'm sure there'll be more to come from KTM. So i wouldn't worry too much about that just yet mm.
0: Yeah, and, and even at this early stage of the season, only two rounds in, it's already starting. The season's starting to take a little bit of shape already uh, when mm-hmm. you look at the results of the first two races. Um, because two other riders are looking pretty clear as if they're going to be right up the front. throughout. Fourth and fifth, Lorenzo Baldassari and Alex Marquez. Baldassari, who was so close to winning the opening round in Qatar, and Alex Marquez, who has good reason to think he could have won it had he not had those brake problems uh, in the first race of the season. Uh, two riders, Dre, who, although they finished fourth and fifth and five seconds off the win, two more riders who, so far, are doing everything to suggest that not just Marquez, but Balder looks like a title threat, too.
1: Yeah, Balder's not going away. Um, again, that race was proof of it. Again, he faded a little bit towards the end on that one, which is a bit of a shame. But again, like I said, that's still a, a very solid fourth place. That's a place where he wouldn't normally finish a couple of seasons ago so yeah like Lorenzo's not going away on this one Alex Marquez we expect him normally to um to be up there so yeah as it stands right now um there's a lot to look forward to Lorenzo Baldessari and Alex Marquez again is almost always in the mix whether whether he can put string a full season together will be the issue for him in the long run but um yeah like again I don't think Lorenzo's going away and I think he could easily be one to watch for the title
0: yeah absolutely he's looking very very good um other eyes that impressed in the Grand Prix, Remy Gardner, a fantastic sixth for Tech 3. Fantastic. Um, deserves oh. a mention. think there is life after Fiat for that team. And uh, you know, he's trying to convince Javier Pontcharel to keep putting money into the Tech 3 Moto 2 project beyond this year. So uh, a good start from that. Lesson. Uh, from that <laughs> point of view. Um, also in seventh place, the rookie Joan Mir, the Moto 3 champion. Um, a terrific result for him. Um, backing up his, his ninth place, finishing the opening round in Qatar, a seventh here. So he's clearly getting the hang of Moto2 pretty quickly. Um, but we had to talk about Banyaya, the winner of the opening round and leading the championship, of course, after one round. And he's, he's immediately lost the championship, but really, and done a lot of that hard work by only finishing ninth um, in Argentina. Now, I was going to try and create some sort of excuse for Banyaya and say, or was it purely down to a poor qualifying? So he qualified 15th. But then I realised that Joan Mir qualified 17th and still beat into the flag. So what on earth happened to Peko?
1: Yeah, beaten by 7-8 seconds as well. And, and Joan Mir beat a a very wily veteran in the class in Dominique Agata over the line. So, yeah, there isn't much of an excuse for Maneier on this one. This was just a poor weekend for him on this one. Um, qualified on the, on the sixth row of the grid. And, you know, he came up to finish in ninth. But that's not... Probably gonna cut it for Banyaya anymore. No, that's not gonna be are...
0: championships, is
1: it? Exactly. Like it's one thing being a very talented rookie. It's another when you've been penciled in for a title threat and have got a Moto seat coming in. So he's not gonna have that same excuse anymore. Now he's got to start thinking about you know serious championships. Um, so the way it's going right now, yeah, this isn't good enough for, for Banyaya if he's thinking title campaign. So. Yeah, improvement needed on this one, but um, hopefully just talked up to a bad round and nothing else on this one because, uh, yeah, that was a disappointing result of, uh, for Peko on that one.
0: It was. Here's how it all finished then. Pessini, the winner, uh, from Vieje in second, Oliveira third, uh, Lorenzo Balazari fourth, ahead of Alex Marquez, Remy Gardner sixth for Tech 3, um, their first points of the year, Joan Mir seventh, Dominic Eganza on the KTM eighth, Peko banyaya ninth, and Marcel Schrotter on the second of the Dynavolt bikes in tenth. Um, the rest of the points were handed out to Ica Laquona in 11th, and then two very disgruntled Brits Danny Kent, 12th, Sam Lowe's, 13th. Less said the better. Uh, even Rex, mm-hmm. we know you're listening. Uh, Isaac <laughs> Vinales, is 14th, and Andrea Locatelli took a final point in 15th position championship standings after two rounds in Moto2 Passini leads it on 38 five clear of in second with Bagnaia now down to third but it's an Italian 1-2-3 in the Moto2 class with Bagnaia on 32 points. Vieje is up to fourth on 28, one ahead of Oliveira in fifth and Marquez in sixth, they're both level on 27 so 11 points covers the top six in Moto2. Marcel Schrotter is seventh on 15, Remy Gardner is eighth on 14, level with Joan Mir, uh, Brad Binder who uh, had a costly crash in Argentina, he is 10th on 10 championship points. Uh, let's finish our roundup then of the Argentine weekend by talking Moto3. Um, Moto3 so often provides the best racing of the weekend, but it's a, a bit of a running theme in Moto3 that when we have rain involved in Moto3, it tends to become the worst race of the three. Um, and it, That should not detract at all from a brilliant first victory for one Marco Bazecchi, who um, on the face of it, to those who maps don't follow Moto3, uh, particularly regularly, it might seem like a complete, you know, left-field victory, left-field name that won the race. But um, this is a kid who took his first podium in wet conditions on the Mahindra in Motegi last season. And it has to be said, Dre, um, that right through preseason testing and until he was knocked off on the final lap by his teammate in Qatar, Marco Bezecchi has been quite regularly the fastest, if not the fastest, if not one of the fastest KTM riders in the field. So for KTM to take their first win since Vizello last year, it's kind of fitting that Marco's got it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. He's been the, probably the best of the KTM so far. I mean, according to many in the know, that, that KTM is still not up to scratch yeah. of the Honda in terms of a moto Free bike at the moment. They are still playing second fiddle, so to speak. So, But of the KTMs, bacchetti has been probably the best of the bunch consistently through testing and through the early round in Qatar as well so yeah if anyone was going to win a race for ATM, i'm glad it's him because he's probably been the best on paper so far and he did it in some style fantastic victory for him
0: yeah he just cleared off at the start didn't he it was it was a curious one at the start because we had mixed tire choices because in much of the similar sort of fashion to the motor gp race that took place a few hours later it was a predominantly wet track but with a dry line um, mm-hmm. so Moto3 riders with no flag to flag so then have to basically have to make a call and basically stick to it for the entire race with no option of changing bikes. Bezeki started on the wets and was rewarded with a victory. What we also got, though, was some riders, like Nakarin Vubapak, he started on a slick rear tyre and a wet front, which didn't exactly benefit him. He finished 18th in the end. Um, but we had the curious scenario, at the end of the formation lap of, Jorge Martín, the championship leader and to many title favourite, pitting at the end of the formation lap, changing from wets to slicks, and essentially starting the race a quarter of a lap behind. Now, I know it's race two, so it's not exactly going to be a championship-defining decision. You know, you're not going to lose a championship in the second race of the year, but given how likely he is to be fighting in a very close championship battle with the likes of Canet and Bashir at the end of the season, are you surprised he took that risk?
1: Uh, probably not, and I say that because it's one of those things where you look like a hero if you get it right, you look like an idiot if you get it wrong, and there's not much middle ground on those sorts of incidents, unfortunately. Because Um, surely,
0: if he just started the race on wet, he'd have finished higher than 11th.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, it was 25 seconds of the win, though. That race needed to be twice as long for him to get up the field. It just turns out the slicks were just... Yeah, it just didn't dry quickly enough, and the slicks just didn't have enough of an advantage over the over the wets to make it work. Um, the nature of a bike that's basically weighs about the same as a thumbnail and you know has about sixty horsepower. I mean, it's not going to make a big difference what rubber it's on to a degree. Um, but yeah, like I said, it, it was a gamble and probably not worth taking. Um, given that you know the vast majority of the field were on. Wet tires, and if he just put wets on himself, he probably would have finished in the top three anyway.
0: Um, <laughs> he, he, was, he was thinking, "Olivia, a lawyer in Indianapolis, wasn't he?" He was, he was yeah. thinking, "Of this is gonna, I'm gonna look like a hero here. Everyone's gonna have to come in and change tires, and I'm gonna win by a minute." Um, it, yeah. it, didn't, it didn't quite happen for him in the end. And incidentally, um, another rider gambled on slicks from the start. That was Tony Arbolino, who deserves a mention because he took his first ever pole position um, last weekend in Argentina. So, congratulations to young Tony. Um, replacement to Fanati in the snipers team um, who kind of looked in 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 a sense because he set pole position then it rained heavily and no one could beat his time Um, but even so congratulations to him he started the race on slicks he didn't have to come down pit lane to do it Um, and he finished in the end one place ahead of Martin in 10th but in the end it was Bersiecki that took the victory by four and a half seconds from a man who we discussed last week now we're not going to retread what we said last week about Aaron Canick, but he had a very controversial start to the weekend um, with that rather, you know, rather unseemly clash with uh, Makai on Friday in free practice one, um, which still staggers us that he didn't get a penalty. Um, mm. But uh, it, it's kind of the way of the world, isn't it, Dre? He starts the race weekend in rather controversial fashion. He's lucky to start the race at all. And he ends it as the championship leader.
1: Of course, just, just like the form but predicted. Um... <laughs> Of course, always the way, isn't it? Like again, the, the Canet. They could make a case that Canet shouldn't even been racing this weekend, and of course he does, and finishes a, a pretty comfortable second in the end. And you know, is now walking away from Argentina as a firm championship leader, um, due to Martin's gamble and the fact that Canet was very, yeah, very ten lucky. To, yeah, ten points clear and very lucky to have not had any form of punishment whatsoever for his for his awful clash of Yuchenko. So. Yeah, I feel I feel bad for for the rest of the... I feel bad for Martin that you know his champion might be affected by what was the stewards, for lack of a better term, sitting on their hands um, on this one and not punishing Kanet for what was an egregious clash. Um, so yeah, Kanet can count himself very very lucky that there was no formal penalty on that one. If you ask me, um, but again, it's, 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 it's the letter of the law at the end of the day and that's what they deem to be fair. So we just got to accept that, unfortunately. So, you know, justice, justice for mechanic was not served this weekend, but there you go. Do
0: you know what, though? I'm instantly now reminded of a comment I said on last week's show. Remember when we discussed this incident last week and I said, imagine what the response would have been if that had been Marquez and Rossi? <sighs> oh, dear God. Those are words I wish I hadn't have said. Save uh, that for the end of year blooper reel. How prophetic was that? Um, yeah, um, Moto3, then here's how it finished. Um, Bersiecki, the first time winner for KTM, their first win since Pugello last year, um, and Bersiecki's first ever. Canet in second, Fabio Di Gian Antonio in third, um, perhaps was lucky to finish the race himself because he only got tailgated by Jean Massier later on, um, as Massier was trying to chase the final podium spot. Um, and then I had the nerve to blame Gian Antonio for it as he sat on the tarmac. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he he took the final podium in the end to Gian Antonio. And Airbashini getting his season up and running in fourth. Adam Noradine, the Malaysian fifth. One rider who deserves a round of applause. Young Alonso Lopez, the youngest rider in the field. The 16-year-old at Estrada Garcia. Oh, yeah. Sixth place for him in his second Grand Prix in wet conditions. Brilliant ride for, for them- him. Uh, Lorenzo Porta 7th, Nicolo Antinelli 8th, the homeboy Gabby Rodrigo 9th from the front row of the grid and the pole man Tony Arbolino in 10th just ahead of Jorge Martín. Uh, Marcos Ramirez, Andrea Migno, Jakub Kornfeld and Livio Loy rounded out the point scorers. Championship standings then after two rounds in Moto3. Canet leads it on 40, uh, he's in that kind of odd position of leading the championship despite not having won a race yet. Um, he has two seconds and leads Martin by 10 points. Marco Bezzecchi is up to third on 27, one ahead of Fabio Di Antonio, who has uh, a third and a sixth to his name. Uh, Lorenzo Dalla Porta is fifth on 25, Antonelli sixth on 21, Rodrigo seventh on 18, two ahead of Noradin in eighth, Bastianini is up to ninth, and young Lopez rounds out the top 10, uh, having scored his first 10 championship points at the weekend. got very limited time to go because we're going to try and do our best for all you guys and keep this show inside two hours um uh, let's look ahead to this weekend then uh the uh first european round of the world superbike season this weekend also the first round of the 2018 super Sport 300 world championship and the stock 1000 european championship they both get underway in aragon this weekend um but we'll talk world superbikes first of all right i mean Looking at free practice today, which was um, perhaps best remembered for um, Freddie Spencer's exceptional commentary debut, who was brilliant, um, but also some marshals playing with a skipping rope because it was raining and nothing was happening on track. Yeah. Um, this does scream, if history is any indicator, Ducati Circuit. Um, and Marco Malangy, quickest today in free practice, ahead of Ryan Sykes, who was second and third uh, on the Kawasaki's. But what was noticeable for me walking, watching free practice today, which for the first time ever was televised live on Eurosport. Um, so yes. for those of you who have your Fridays free on future World Superbike European weekends, you'll be able to watch the uh, World Superbike practice sessions on telly, um, which is great stuff. Next weekend, they're in Assen. Um, but what was noticeable was that in that final sector of the lap where we have that humongous long straight of Aragon, the Ducatis mm. were a good four tenths quicker than the Kawasaki's, um, which could be key um, in race one tomorrow and race two on Sunday. Even with concessions, even with rev limits, this does still seem to be a circuit that favours your to me.
1: It looks that way. And, it, and if that's the case, I mean, I didn't get to see practice, unfortunately, but if that's what you're saying, they're, they're, they're making 0.4 in the final sector due to that massive long straight. And, you know, we all know about Kawasaki, their rev limits, their gearboxes concerns, um having to basically compromise on their gearing because they can't change them once a season gets underway the Kawasaki look boned here. I mean, I'm surprised they're still as fast as they are, given that they're losing 0.4 down the back straight. The Kawasaki is obviously still very fast a motorcycle around the corners, but if you're losing half a second on the front straight, what's the point? Um, but yeah, the way, the way it's going right now, it's looking like it's going to be Chaz Davis to lose again around here. We all know he's incredibly strong around, around, um, Aragon and he looks like very much like a, like a still a Ducati circuit for better or worse. So, uh, Yeah, it's going to be a real challenge for for Ray and Sykes to to stay with him on this one because that that is a significant advantage that check having a straight line around here.
0: Yeah, free practice at the end, which is, uh, you know, three three free practice sessions take place on the Friday, so it's it's a slight difference to MotoGP for new listeners to this show. Um, The... The same rules apply in that the top ten after three free practice sessions are straight through to what is called Super Pole 2. In World Superbikes, it's the same as Q2 in MotoGP. But all three sessions take place on the Friday in Superbike. And here's how it finished. Melandry quickest by only four hundredths of a second in the end from Jonathan Ray, but most of that was made up in the final sector. Without that, uh, Ray and Sykes would have probably been one and two for Kawasaki. Sykes was third in the end, just two tenths off uh, melandry with Chaz Davies in fourth, half second off the pole man. What of the fastest man, Malandri. Jordi Torres, a sensational fifth for MV Augusta, ahead of the Yamahas <laughs> of Alex Lowe's and Michael Vandermark. Chavi Forres, who could be one to watch if the Ducatis go well, was eighth. Lorenzo Savadori, ninth. And Leon Camier making it straight through to Super Bowl II in tenth. Red Bull Honda, for those that follow World Superbikes, they are they have switched this weekend. They are running the Magneti Morelli Electronics. Um, they have reverted from Cosworth. So if we think back to Suzuki a few years ago and how badly they struggled... Uh, When they switched electronics, Honda are going to be one to keep an eye on. And it looks at early early doors as if Kamiya is still making that bike work, which is good to see. Um, He was top 10 today, knocking out the unfortunate Michael Rubin rinaldi the Stock 1000 champion of last year, who is going to be riding at the European rounds of the World Superbike class this season on a third Aruba Ducati, uh, designated as the Aruba.it Racing Junior team. Um, He (laughs) was top 10 all day and then was knocked out just before it rained in FP3. Um, so he ended practicing 11th, and we'll have to go through Super Bowl 1 along with Davide Giuliano, who returns to the series with Milwaukee as Laverty's replacement. Loris Baz, Jake Gagne, Roman Ramos, Vladimir Leonov, who is a wild card on a Kawasaki and was quick today. He was 16th. Top pack Razgatioglu, Leandro Mercado, PJ Jacobson, Yoni Hernandez, and Andre Yezek. That is your Super Bowl 1 field tomorrow morning, or by the time you listen to this, earlier today. Um, race 1 takes place on Saturday, race two, as ever, on Sunday uh, in Aragon this weekend. And as I mentioned, it is not only the World Supers, Bike and Supersport classes, um, but the first race weekend of the 2018 World Supersport 300 Championship. Uh, So keep an eye on that. Uh, And we'll cover all of that this time next week. It's also the second round of the British Superbike Championship. Bradley Ray heads to his home round as the clear championship leader. Not something Um, I was expecting to be saying a couple of weeks ago. Um, Mm -hmm. but that is what he does. But the headlines from today, um, unfortunately, center around injuries. Um, Injuries, really, in the end race, shapes which six riders made the showdown last year, Um, particularly when we look at the likes of Luke Mossy and Chris Nidden and Glenn Irwin, who suffered injuries at the worst possible moments. Um, Now, Dan Linfoot has suffered injury this time, and Dan Linfoot, of course, is third in the points at the moment um, in the British Superbike Championship after his very, very strong start to the season um, at Donington last weekend. Fortunately, he's uh, cracked a vertebra and is out of Brands Indy this weekend. Now, the one silver lining for him is that it's still very early in the season and he's got a chance to get back and secure a showdown spot. But given how competitive he was at the first round of the season, this is a rotten piece of luck for him.
1: That's brutal for Linford. Jeez, um, cracked a vertebra in his back. That's a bad one. That might that might be a couple of the weekends he may end up missing because that like you, you don't rush back from a broken back. Um, pardon the rhyme on that one, but uh, it's 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 certainly not ideal for him. Um, yeah, as he said, because that that opening round was so competitive. You you had five or six dudes who could have challenged for podiums legitimately during the weekend. So. If, if that's happening that's not a good sign for Dan hopefully they don't take too many points um off each other and the, the door's still open for him to come back maybe next next round and hopefully recover some of the damage because uh yeah as you say that that could be a problem going forward if he's gonna you know lose that many points in the early going
0: mm, it is it's a big shame for him um after free practice today here's how free practice finished today um, Shaky Byrne was quickest on the b Ducati. I know you're all shocked. Um, but he was he was 0.175 clear of James Ellison's second. Um, now, for those that don't know, Hatch Indy is as close as you can get to an oval track in motorcycle racing. It's Pretty much. It, it's very, very short. There's only about seven corners. Um, it's a 45-second lap. 0.175 of a second around a 45-second lap. That's like half a second around most places. Um, so that is a huge advantage that Shaky Byrne had. Um, this afternoon if he practised, so he was quickest today ahead of Ellison with Christian Iden in third on the Tyco BM Luke Mossy fourth ahead of Jason O'Halloran Glenn Irwin Leon Haslam in seventh Pete Aikman eighth Richard Cooper that other build-based Suzuki rider in ninth uh, and mm-hmm. Jake Dixon in tenth position um it's very, very difficult at uh, a place like Brands Hindi, given it's so close, to really make any kind of bold predictions for the weekend because you know it's a, it's a race weekend and a qualifying session and two races that are probably going to be decided and dictated by thousands of a second. Um, well, that's quite a marker, Shaky's put down early doors. It has. It definitely is. That is, I mean, again, like, shaky was not
1: that strong round here last year. It seemed to be Kawasaki that had... Because it was his first yeah, round back
0: from the injury, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, first time back for the injury, he wasn't 100, percent so maybe the injury mastered a little bit of extra pace that Shaky had all along round here. So yeah, quite right. Um, it's a strong marker um, again. Qualifying is tomorrow. We'll see. It. It's going to be bound to be very close, given it's such a short circuit. Um, so it could be down. To, it could be a lot of it. it could end up coming down to the riders and where they end up playing out of it. Should be fun.
0: Yeah, it's tough <laughs> at the top, as Brad Ray's finding out he was only 17th today uh, in free practice. Um, but when I tell you that obviously around such a short circuit such a tight circuit 0.9 of a second covered the top 19 riders um that tells you just how close it was so um perhaps bradley ray won't be panicking uh, just yet um but uh british superbikes they're in action that's their second round of the season this weekend um, and unlike the opening race weekend of the season where they raced on the Bank Holiday Monday, it's qualifying on Saturday and races one and two are both on Sunday uh, this weekend. And of course, next week, as if this week's show wasn't loaded enough, next week we will break down both the race weekend action at Aragornia World Superbike, Super Sport, and Sport 300, but also the second round of the BSB season at Brands Indy. So you've got another bumper bike ride to look forward to. Um, next week but we hope you've enjoyed as much as we have this uh, rather stacked edition of the show episode 54 breaking down an incredible a memorable weekend in uh, Argentina that we're going to be talking about for quite some time Um, before we go though quick uh, let's mark your card episode 133 and um, just a hunch possibly episode 134 as well of Motorsport 101 coming next week, Dre. It is another loaded Motorsport 101 next week too because we have the trifecta. We have Formula 1 in China. We have Formula E in Rome and IndyCar at Long Beach.
1: Oh, dear God. Like, I feel bad for has to edit these things. I mean, geez, there's so much audio to listen to. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, just to, just a to quick catch-up on things. Episode 131 went up as we're recording this today. Markaloff's good, but he's not quite Carlin. Yes, we named a Formula One episode after a Formula Two race because that's what we do around here on this show. Um, yeah, reviews of Formula Two in Bahrain. The fantastic um, performance of Martin Markaloff and Lando Norris taking wins on that weekend as well. Episode 132 will go up later on this week. Next week, I should say. Talking about um, IndyCar in Phoenix. Joseph Newgarden stealing a win from Robert Wickens. Stop me for that one before. Um, Wickens missing out on a, narrowly on a victory for the second race in a row um on that one but hey wickens actually finished second this time so that's nice um so yeah wickens second ahead of rossi on that one see so yeah, IndyCar and phoenix and a, a, a tribute to the late great jim clark's 50th anniversary since his passing um episode 133 and probably 134 next week as well most likely chinese grand prix e Prix in rome IndyCar at long beach this past weekend I'll try and cram it into one show, but I can't guarantee you anything on this one because, you know, what we're like we're, talk, we're a talkative bunch on this show. So potentially four podcasts of Motorsport One One in the next week or so. Not, lot to look forward to on that one. And of course, tune into Bike Live as well because we're bound to talk about super bikes, lots and lots of super bikes.
0: Yeah, they spoil, they spoil you guys. And yeah, it is. It, yeah, life's tough as a as a, as a t- sort of short for time editor um, in the Motorsport 101 One towers. You're lucky those are funny. Uh, but uh, but no, in, in all seriousness, um, tune in to episodes 131 and 132 uh, of Motorsport 101. Uh, I have to say, in all seriousness, it is worth all the time. If nothing else, to hear how uh, Ryan King forgot how many seconds are in a minute. Um, that was funny. Uh, on episode 132, you can look forward to that. Um, if you haven't listened to it already, it's on Early Access. And by the time you listen to this, um, you will be able to catch it on Early Access. And episode 132 will be up very, very soon. Um, so that brings us to the end of this week's edition uh, of Bike Live here on one 101 a race weekend that had us all talking um, we saw Valentino and Mark come to blows we saw Joanne hit Danny as I mentioned in the intro we saw Aleish take on the world why can't we all just get along see you next week